Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. And today we have Rob Shelsky back for a second episode. Thanks for coming back on. Oh, I'm glad to be here again. So we were just chatting and you informed me of something I'd never heard of before. Silly season. (laughs) (laughs) We're in it, folks. (laughs) Tell my listeners what you just told me for sure sure about this. uh, Well, the idea behind it is that every so often, uh, civilization has strange things that happen to it, and they're referred to as silly seasons. They seem to come in a regular pattern, and if you graphed it, it'd be like looking at uh, waves in an ocean. It'd peak and uh, it would crest, and then it would go into a trough and then crest again every so often. As examples, in the 1920s, uh, college students were pushing peanuts up Pike's Peak to see if they could do it. They were swallowing live goldfish, all that sort of thing. Silly season. And then again, in the um, late 50s and early 60s, it began to see how many people you could uh, crush into a Volkswagen or into a telephone booth. And sometimes they would have to dismantle the telephone booth. For those of you who don't know what a telephone booth is, it was a big square kiosk. (laughs) (laughs) You used to have phones. (laughs) They can Google phone booths. Yeah, they can Google it. Or watch Doctor Who. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Doctor Who's TARDIS is a telephone booth of a sort. Yeah, police box. So anyway, yeah, that's a good one. So anyway, uh, there's a theory that eventually all these waves, these peaks and crests will coincide. Um, All the silly seasons will come together. And we were mentioning before the broadcast that it looks like 2020 might be (laughs) Might be it. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think this is it. <laughs> In which case, it would be the end of the world, which isn't all that hilarious, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't take it too seriously. It's just a, a theory. And I think there's actually a sci-fi story written based on that, too. So Interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder, though, like, one, when you hear, I hear about end of the world, did he mean like the literal end of the world? Or did he mean the end of what we perceive as a three-dimensional reality? Well, um, good question. It could be the physical end of the world. It could be the end of humans. It could be the end of civilization as we know it. Or it could be the computer is turned off mm-hmm. and our simulation ends. Or there could be a phase change in the universe, which travels at the speed of light. We wouldn't even see it coming because of that. One minute we'd be fine, and the next minute we wouldn't exist. You wouldn't feel a thing. So there's a lot of ways the uh, world can end. Yeah. yeah. It, like I, th- I think when people hear end of the world, they automatically think like um, a nuclear war or an asteroid, something like that. Yeah, or as President Jimmy Carter used to call it, a Nukio war. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I think that's the most common one that we're afraid of right now. And if this is the silly season, that could be what it's leading to. You know, things aren't real good with China right now, and Russia's not much better. No, no. But my fear would be the world ending with killer clowns. Oh, I saw that movie. 
Actually, the world didn't end. They managed to get rid of them. Remember? Yeah, they did succeed. Yeah. But, but imagine if clowns could pull that off. I think they could. <laughs> <laughs> I have never liked clowns. Even as a kid, I did not like clowns. I always thought they were scary. It was popular in the late 60s, 70s for people to have clown paintings on their walls and their houses. And I never understood why they liked those things. Yeah, they're always dark. Especially after the first Cousin It movie. I mean, not Cousin oh, yeah. It, cousin it, the It movie from Stephen King. That would do it. That would. <laughs> but you know, you've heard about that clown scare we had last year. Remember? Yeah, yeah, year? the Halloween thing, right? The creepy yeah. clown. And it wasn't just Halloween; they were just popping up all over the country. I guess it was people just being idiots. You know, I hope. Was that part of the silly season thing? I don't know. It would. You know, the silly season doesn't just happen in one year. It happens over a number of years, several maybe. Uh, so I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder, like when you describe it as a coming in waves, I wonder if there is some kind of energy wave that happens that we don't see. You know, like when you hear about like an astrology, yeah, astrology, you know, how to influence different planets come and go, like almost like in waves. Yeah, I'm not real big on astrology. I mean, I used to, it was my dating thing back in the late 70s, you know, what's your really? sign? Yeah. You used that line? Oh, we all used that line back then. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it worked because everyone was into it at that point in time. Now they look at you and they go, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, uh, no, astrology was supposed to be based on the stars. And then when they found out through science that every 2,000 years, we were one um, astrological sign completely off of the original star charts. Then the astrologists decided to stop pinning it to the cycle of the stars, and they just divided the uh, year into 12 quadrants. And it didn't matter where the actual stars were. If you were born at a certain time of year, you were that. Like, I'm a Sagittarian. What are you? Um, Capricorn. See, we all know our sign, don't we? Yes. Yeah, we don't believe in astrology necessarily, but we all know our signs. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever dated a Scorpio? Uh, no, but I uh, dated a Gemini who was um, bipolar. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm awesome. a Sagittarian. I'm a, I'm a fire sign. I'm supposed to date air signs because they feed the flame. I'm an earth sign. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to date, but I know. Dirt. You're supposed to be dirt. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I know that, 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 that Scorpios are bad. Why? Why are Scorpios bad? I didn't know that. Oh, I don't know. I just had a rough time with Scorpios. Well, I'm not supposed to date water signs. But if I remember right, like Aquarius, that isn't a water sign, even though it's the water bearer. Is it an air sign? I... Don't remember. Again, remember, I'm the one who doesn't believe in this stuff. Let's see. I know Capricorn is an Earth sign. I think Taurus is an Earth sign. Yeah, my mother was a Taurus bull, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cancer is a water sign. Pisces mm -hmm. is a water sign. Have you heard of a Phaeacus? No. Well, back about mm, eight, nine years ago, the astrology group got together and they decided that in order to correct their calendar, they would add a new sign of Phaeacus. 
and it occurred, I guess, in uh, November. It took part of November and part of December. So I was Sagittarian, but my father became an Ophiuchus sign. But you know, I've never seen it used in any astrology table since then. So I'm guessing it didn't really go over. I guess not. Next time I have an astrologer on, I'm going to ask them about the Ophiuchus sign. And if they don't know it, uh, then they're not very good, are they? (laughs) (laughs) See, I know more about it than the astrologers do. You do. Yeah, no, not really. But it is interesting. I find almost anything interesting. Um, You name it. I don't care if it's uh, the hauntings, uh, like the the Great Amherst haunting in Nova Scotia Mm -hmm. that occurred, or uh, whether it's that hotel in L.A. where that woman's body was found in the tank on the roof. And it turns out that that hotel has such a reputation that it had changed its name Mm. to try to divorce itself from its reputation for horrible things happening there. So he just tried to rebrand. Yes, he did, yeah. <laughs> no more hotel hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was a hotel hell. I mean, we're talking from the 30s to the present. The uh, They had suicides at that hotel in 31 and 32 and 34 and 36 and 37 and 39 and 41 and 43. And it continued on from there. They had two serial killers that lived there. They had a woman who was brutally murdered, who was a bird lady, fed the pigeons. They called her Pigeon Gertie or something like that. Horribly uh, killed in her room or apartment, whatever it was at the hotel. And... Um, People were committing suicide left and right. Two different women went there with their husbands, and they both jumped out of the window while their husbands were sleeping in bed. And, uh, you know, anything to get away from your ex, but uh, <laughs> or would-be ex. And, and there was another woman who jumped from a window and hit a pedestrian, and they both were killed. Oh, I hate it when it happens. Yeah, don't you? You can't walk down the street and be safe. I know. I know. It's it's not a good thing. So, and then of course you had this um, Asian lady, young lady, who, if you watch the video of it on YouTube, it's very very strange indeed. I mean, she's in the elevator. She presses all the buttons. When the doors open, she darts forward and looks to the left and right, and everything and goes back and slams the button again. But the doors don't seem to want to close. And the last, that's the last anyone ever saw of her until they found her body in the tank. And they found that because the water started tasting funny in the hotel. Uh, yeah. Yeah, nothing worse than taste of rotten flesh in your water. I could think of a few things, but not many. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was saying, can you imagine showering and bathing in that? I go, can you imagine drinking it? You know, <laughs> <that way. laughs> But yeah, they don't know how she got up there because there was only one way to get up on the roof. That was through a door that was kept locked and it wasn't available to the public. They, anyone staying there wouldn't know where that stairway was. So what would you think? This, this, maybe this place is a portal to hell? Um, or just living there is a hell, you yeah. know. <laughs> That's a lot of negativity for one place. Yeah, isn't it, though? And it just seems to continue. And again, because of all the suicides there, they did change the name. Uh, because, <laughs> let's face it, it was getting a little out of hand, you know. But uh, so they changed it to the State of Maine Hotel. I can't remember what it was before that. But, yeah, that's what they uh, changed it to. It also kind of, you ever hear about the, um, I think it's in Japan, near Mount Fiji, 
stay the, on uh, Maine. Sorry, I didn't mean to drop, but it's not state of Maine. It's stay on Maine. Oh, stay on Maine. Yeah, stay on Maine. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a, a forest where people go to kill themselves. Oh yeah, I can't pronounce the name of it, but it's near the base of Mount Fuji. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, did you see that thing where that uh, guy that was an internet celebrity, <clears throat> excuse me, went there? And uh, they found a body hanging from a tree. Yeah. <laughs> it was on YouTube. It actually showed it. They took it off afterwards. But, uh, yeah, it's um, you go there and you find empty tents and stuff like that. They even did a movie about it. Did you ever see the movie? I've never seen the movie, but I, I've seen it on a couple of TV shows. And, of course, right about it on the Internet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's again, it's... it's <laughs> Not a place I would recommend as a staycation or a holiday resort, you know. <laughs> Let's go. And I can't think of the name of it. It's, it is a Japanese name, and I'm horrible with Japanese pronunciation. So it's probably best I can't remember it. But yeah, and even the trees look awful. They're horribly stunted things. It's a very strange, eerie place. Yeah, I, I don't know why somebody would want to go to a place like that to commit suicide. Well, maybe because it looks like that. I, you know, <clears throat> according to the ancient Romans, there are sick places on the earth. You know, the Romans believed in sick houses. So the idea of a haunted house goes back over 2,000 years. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, you know it now. <laughs> well, I, but I just wonder what causes like that type of concentration of negative energy. Um, good question. And of course, everyone has different answers. I've been on radio shows where one of the hosts firmly believes that there are evil spirits, demons, ghosts, trolls, goblins, you name it. And um, who knows? I mean, I keep an open mind because nobody knows anything for absolute certainty. You can't even be sure the sun will rise tomorrow, not for a certainty. Mm. Yeah, I don't know either. Like, I don't know if maybe, you know, something happened that was really bad and just put bad juju on a certain place or, or what is this? <laughs> well it's uh it does seem to be that there are places that seem to have this problem and they aren't necessarily old uh you can um you can look up stuff where people are renovating houses that aren't more than 15 18 years old and there's some weird stuff going on in them and uh you know there's the shadow people, goblins, almost every culture on uh, earth has its own version of a goblin. The Japanese, the South Koreans, the Chinese, uh, the um, Romanians, the Norwegians, the Germans, the British, the Scottish, the Irish, the Welsh, the French, the Spanish, people in Iceland. They all describe these things as being the same sort of thing. Really ugly little creatures that um, are not good to have around. If it's just a myth or legend, why is it so pervasive worldwide? I'm not saying goblins are real, but mm -hmm. you have to wonder why it's so pervasive around the entire world. Yeah. Well, in Africa, they have it too. Yeah, it's everywhere. I have yeah. my own, I have a theory. I mean, it's actually not an original theory, but, you know, uh, you know I'm big on the topic of consciousness, and I believe that everything has some type of consciousness. Plants, animals, rocks, people, everything has a type of some kind of consciousness. And before there were humans on Earth, you know, there was probably, or even life, there was probably some sort of consciousness, some kind of conscious entities that existed, like in an astral form. 
And I think those things that that energy or those astral forms still exist. And that's what causes these, um, you know, goblins and fairies and stuff like that. Well, again, all the cultures believe uh, in, in, it's amazing how many cultures believe in this stuff in sprites, um, elves, uh, goblins, trolls. There's enough of them on the internet. I know that, but <laughs> the trolls. I mean, not the goblins. <laughs> I might be. I'm actually a troll. I think a troll for guests. <laughs> Do you know what you call a group of goblins? Um, I don't Take know. Take a guess. Take a guess. Globlineers. <laughs> Sounds like somebody from Walt Disney. <laughs> either, either, either. Uh, no. <laughs> now they're called a horde. Ah, yeah. She's known you, that you, from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and you know what you call a female goblin? A whore? <laughs> Close. A hag or a crone, <laughs> or a goblinette, if you want to be politically correct. I always thought a hag was an old witch. Yeah, apparently it's that too, or we used to call women, old women, you know, toothless women and stuff, hags, mm -hmm. but that might have been a comparison to a female goblin, you know. Could be. Yeah. You know, uh, like a crone. We think of an old crone as a witch, like the crone of Cawdor. So one of the books that you wrote was on Mothman. That's one of the things that we did not get to talk about on the last episode when I had you on. Right. Now we're into cryptids. Yes. Yeah. Do you think the Mothman is a cryptid, or do you think a Mothman is like one of these other type of entities? Uh, I think it's a cryptid, although it could well be another type of entity. There are aspects to it that are, are um, certainly troubling. UFOs are often sighted when sightings of Mothman occur. It does seem to appear in various places, not just in uh, Mount Pleasant, West Virginia, but around the world and over the centuries. It's appeared in Azerbaijan, uh, it's appeared in uh, Romania, it's appeared, well, just about anywhere. It's even supposed to have been sighted at Fukushima just before the plant blew. And whenever it's sighted, it seems like um, something terrible is about to happen, like it has foreknowledge of what's coming. So it was a bad omen. Apparently, it's been sighted in Cornwall, England, and I even went there to investigate it. They don't call it the Mothman. They call it the Owl Man, and it's been seen there for a couple of centuries at least, but its description is almost identical to that of Mothman. And uh, there's also the Highgate Vampire of London, uh, that sort of thing, and they all bear a marked resemblance to the Mothman. Tall, glowing red eyes? Uh, glowing red eyes, all of them. Uh, gaunt figure... Uh, the vampire look, of Highgate looked like he had a cape that he could open up when he raised his arms, but it's very much like bat wings of the Owl Man and of Mothman. So, it's uh, the, again the similarities are striking. Now, what's causing this? Is it a psychic phenomena that we generate ourselves? Uh, is it a mass hallucination? Does it really exist? Is it related to UFOs? Lots of questions. A lot of questions. How about the Jersey Devil? You think the Jersey Devil could be a Mothman? Yeah, I think he could because some of the original versions of the Jersey Devil are strikingly similar to uh, the Mothman. And also there's the, the legends of the Thunderbird in the Midwest and Far yeah. West. And they bear a striking resemblance to the Mothman. So what is this large, dark creature that can fly and everyone's afraid of? Uh, Native Americans speak of the Thunderbird as in their culture. 
the Kachina dolls, I think it's of the uh, Navajo, don't quote me on that one, uh, have one. And uh, so it's, it's made it. And then, of course, you have China with its dragons. I mean, are we talking about the same thing here, just different descriptions of it? You know, UFOs have been described in very different ways over the centuries. In ancient Greek times, they were referred to as flying shields because they looked like a brightly burnished shield that you'd use in battle. Right. But, but then they didn't have saucers back then, so they wouldn't relate it to a saucer, whereas we do. Yeah, they compare it to something that they have knowledge of. Right, exactly, that they have knowledge of in their daily life. So as the times change, our descriptions can change of something, but it doesn't alter the thing itself, just our perspective on it. Yeah, it's like a lot of people think that um, Ezekiel's vision in the Bible could have been a UFO. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk in the Bible that sounds so much like uh, it could be alien abductions or UFOs. I mean, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, supposedly ascended into heaven. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, Ezekiel ascended into heaven. I mean, this goes on and on and on. It's just uh, throughout history, it's, it's a very, I think it was Ezekiel ascended into heaven. Uh, or maybe it was Enoch. I can never keep those two straight. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a, a biblical scholar myself. No, me neither. They're all just a bunch of old men with really long beards. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I know there was like Ezekiel's vision. Um, I think Enoch was an angel who came from heaven down. Uh, no, um, he, was, he was supposed to have been a prophet on earth. He was what? taken into heaven and oh. taught by angels and came back with knowledge to give to the human race. The knowledge what? of writing, for instance, and things hmm. like that. How about Jacob's Ladder? Was that yeah, like- there's another interesting one, too. I mean, it either was a real vision of heaven, although it's a strange one, or, I mean, all these angels going up and down the ladder, or uh, it was a um, out-of-this-world UFO-style thing, or he was on some kind of drug that I would like to get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just, uh, I mean, because really it is a very strange dream, but it was considered prophetic, and so it was included in the Bible. Now, I mean, it could really be heaven and hell. I don't know. I'm not sure they exist, but I'm not sure they don't exist either. So, again, I try to keep a very open mind. What I go for is evidence. There does seem to be real evidence of Mothman, and that's why I wrote a book about it. And when you were writing the book, did you, what was what was the most compelling evidence that you discovered? Actually, there was quite a bit. But um, there was the death of one person who was uh, intimately involved in it. Actually, sort of finally went insane from it all. And they found him frozen to death outside his house. Um, there was a farmer who went out, uh, didn't see the thing at first. His dog went barking off. And after whatever it was, and then he saw it and ran back in the house and locked all the doors and apparently came up on the steps and looked in the windows, that sort of thing. There was another case where some people were racing in a car down a road. And this thing came, they had seen it originally in an old armaments area that had been used in World War II. And panicking after it came, you know, they were, I guess it was a foursome. I I mean, like two couples, you know, they were just necking out in a lover's lane kind of situation. Uh And they saw this thing and it came at them and they fled in their car going down the highway. And this thing kept a pace with them. And they were doing up at one point, a hundred miles an hour. And they did pass a dead dog on the highway. Was that the farmer's dog? 
And then, of course, people were seeing him around the bridge in Mount Pleasant. And, of course, that bridge collapsed very shortly thereafter. And he uh, supposedly has been seen at Fukushima just before the earthquake and the thing went into meltdown. Um, some people claim he was at the Twin Towers and uh, even show a photograph of it. Is it a real photograph? I don't know. I'll have but, to look that one up. Yeah, but there, is, uh, there seems to be a lot of um, anecdotal evidence, but also some real evidence. I mean, I read and researched it thoroughly. And there was a lot more to the Mothman than you just saw in the movie. The movie was a highly abbreviated version. Hmm. I just wonder, I mean, if, if it's a cryptid, it's a very intelligent cryptid that is sabotaging things for disaster. No, not sabotaging things. He apparently knows they're going to happen. It's almost like he's uh, a rubbernecker. He comes to watch it happen. Um, so maybe one, he has like one part of him exists in the future? Well, as oddly as that seems to sound, he doesn't so much exist in the future as he can see time in a different way than we can. Uh, what would be a good example? Say you're on the top of a mountain or you live in a village in this little valley between two high mountain peaks. You can't see past them. Your whole world is that valley. Mm -hmm. Nothing else exists beyond there that you've ever seen. But suppose you climbed to the top of one of those mountains and took a look. You could see far and wide, and then you'd go back down to them, and you'd say, there's this and that, and they wouldn't believe you. So he sees us from a higher perspective. Or, yes, from a, maybe a higher dimensional perspective. You may be only part of this world. And that would explain why we don't always see him, or you know, it's not like a bird that's flying around constantly. Right. In fact, it's rather like UFOs, isn't it? They, uh, they pop into existence and pop back out again. We yeah. know they're real. We know they exist. The U.S. government has told us that, released video of it, confirmed the video. So we know UFOs exist. Uh, we just don't know what they are or where they're from. But they behave, as most scientists will say, as if they're violating the laws of known physics. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe there's just more physics than we realize. Yeah, definitely. I, I think chances are, well, I think there's probably more than one possibility or even more than one explanation for UFOs. Either it's something from another dimension, another planet, or something that's been on this planet all along that we didn't know about, or all three. What's your favorite? My favorite? I'm going to have to go with another dimension. Why? Because one thing that I think us as human beings have a little bit of ability to do is to experience other dimensions. Um, I, I did an episode not that long ago. I have, in fact, I just put it up today. And I, uh, we're, I was talking to this um, guest about out-of-body experiences. And, um, and I definitely think there's other dimensions. And he had a similar experience that I had with like a, um, an epileptic seizure where I was out for like 20 minutes, but it was like I still existed somewhere else. In so you, you've had an OBE? Yeah. Hmm. And, um, and it was interesting. You know, it wasn't scary or anything. It was, it was just sort of like, wow, this is really cool. Can you describe it? 
Um, it was a lot like what you hear about in their death experiences. There was definitely a, it was like in a vortex. Um, that was surrounded by color. Um, but the color was also sound. So like the color and the sound was together. And um, I didn't feel any fear or anything like that. Um, I don't know. It was really, really cool. And then I, I, I remember hearing a, a voice going, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And it was my wife yelling at me. By then I was already in the ambulance on my way to the hospital. So that was maybe 20, 25 minutes into this thing, but it only seemed like maybe a split second. So and was it an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience in India? I, I think they're similar experiences. When I when I researched it afterwards, you know, um, a lot of people say that the epileptic seizure is more like an NDE, near-death experience. Yeah, it sounded but, like it to me. But I, but I didn't see any, like, people or light or anything like that. It was just a, a big, vast void of color and sound. Hmm. You sure you didn't go to a rock concert? <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure. And, and the funny thing about this is, though, uh, about a week later, I received a book in the mail on uh, time paradoxes from Oxford University. And the receipt from, on the book was six months in the future. That's weird. So I was wondering, like, you know, that's where, why I believe it is, you know, like, if time is not linear and it's all happening at one time, then out there somewhere there's a future self. Well, so yeah. Maybe I, during, I, so, maybe during, uh, so maybe uh, during the seizure, some of my consciousness merged with that future self-consciousness and somehow sent me that book. That's like this weird theory I have. Yeah, that's, I'll give you half of that. It's weird. <laughs> Not so sure about the theory part. But, <laughs> but actually, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, Einstein believes that the past, present, future are already there, that they're immutable, that we don't have self-determinism, we don't have free will, that no matter what we do, the future will unfold as the future already exists, and that nothing we can do right now can change it. Of course, <clears throat> excuse me, I... Um, I don't see that it really stops you from having free will because if you don't know what the future is, you can make any choices you want to. It may already, it may end up the way it's supposed to in the future, but that doesn't mean that you didn't have your right of choice now. But Einstein basically says, well, you really don't. It's an illusion because the future is there and it's fixed. And no matter what you do, you're going to end up there. Or maybe just every possibility already exists. Well, uh, Quantum theory says that actually that's a little creepy too, but it thinks that uh, the universe might be and everything in it might be probability waves. And the probability that you are where you are right now is just a high probability. But there's a very, very small chance that you might just pop into existence in space around the moon's surface or in the middle of the sun. They're extremely small probabilities, but they do exist. And if you ever watch the movie uh, Men Who Stare at Goats, they keep trying mm -hmm. to run through this wall. And eventually, at the end of the movie, he does. Because even though it's a very small probability that that could happen, it is still a probability. So given enough time and enough attempts, 
it probably would happen, although it may take a trillion years. Yeah, so we're sort of, I don't know, living in a fishbowl. Well, we may not be solid at all, but from instant to instant, we're a probability wave, Mm -hmm. that there's a a, a probable outcomes. And of course, if you believe in quantum theory, the many worlds theory of quantum theory, then all those probabilities are occurring. Every time you make a choice, there's another universe that comes into existence where you made the opposite choice. And this goes on ad infinitum, so that every probability that can play out must play out somewhere. So it's not really like you made a choice at all. All the choices of all the yous put together account for all the probabilities that could happen. And they do, just in parallel universes. That sounds probable. (laughs) At least possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of the funny things, I remember like last time I had you on, you had we were talking. You spent a lot of time talking about the Mandela effect, and you mentioned the Kit Kat bar. Now every time when I go to the register at a store and I see that Kit Kat bar there, I'm like, "This is creepy." <laughs> I know it is creepy, and 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 for me, it's um, a Jiffy peanut butter. I mean, I remember eating Jiffy peanut butter as a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother didn't want to buy it because it was the most expensive brand being the most advertised, and that's why I focused on it. She'd always get the generic brand, and uh, I always wanted Jiffy peanut butter, and it never existed. Jiffy peanut butter doesn't exist. Oh, it exists. I used to eat it. No. You ate Jiff. No, I ate Jiffy. No, you ate Jiff. Mm-mm. I ate Jiffy. There is no Jiffy peanut butter. Never was, just, according just to like, the- Just like there's a dash in Kit Kat. <laughs> Give me a break with that Kit Kat bar <laughs> and that hyphen in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's uh, Jiffy, Jiffy peanut butter. It never existed. It's, it's, it's so strange. Yeah, it is strange. It's, uh, it's creepy. I mean, yes, we can get it wrong. We have, we're human. Our memories are certainly not flawless. But uh, by the same token, how can so many of us get it wrong the same way? There was Jiffy Popcorn, though. Yes, Jiffy Pop Popcorn. I remember that, too. (laughs) I liked it. It worked pretty well. But was there a hyphen between the word Jiffy and Pop? Got me. I don't remember that. I don't remember it either. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember shaking it on the stove. Yeah, me too. I I begged my mother to let me shake it on the stove. We had a gas stove at the time. It was really cool. But, uh, of course, the microwave did all that in. Although, you know, I did buy a a $200 popcorn machine. You did? Yeah, it's in my living room. It does the kettle kind of popping. Oh. Yeah. I never use it. I never use it. Too much trouble to clean it. I use my microwave. Me too. <laughs> I put the bag in there facing up. Yep. <laughs> and I hit the popcorn button. And you got popcorn. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I, I wanted my living room to be like a movie theater. So I bought the lounge chairs, you know, the low chairs from the theater, electric, and the little tables, and a 70-inch screen TV, high-definition 4K, and got the popcorn machine. And who has time, right? I'm coming over to your house to watch the new Bill and Ted movie. Oh, I want to see that. I do too. Why, as intelligent adults, do we want to see that kind of a movie? Uh, nostalgia? 
Yeah, I guess it is nostalgia. Yeah. I always like Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, he was great in The Matrix. Great in The Matrix. And Butterfly Effect. Yeah, actually, the Butterfly Effect I don't really believe in. No? No, I don't think he was in Butterfly Effect, was he? Is this another false memory? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> or is this just old age? Uh, could be. <laughs> it could be. I, I don't remember him being Wait, the butterfly. Effect. I'm going to look it up now. Let's I am see. too. Yeah, it says Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Yep. Wow. Maybe I should actually watch that sometime. There's different versions of it. Like I remember I had the DVD and the DVD had like four or five alternate endings. Oh, really? That'd be confusing. So, so you, every time you watch it, you can pick a different ending. Well, you know, I watched um, Little Shop of Horrors not too long ago. And the ending absolutely astounded me. It was not the ending I remembered at all. And I thought, oh, my God, this is the Mandela effect in spades. Did you ever watch the movie? A long time ago, but I don't remember it well. You remember Audrey too, the plant that needed human blood and needed, needed to eat people? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, the movie ended with the plant getting killed and him going off with his girlfriend. Can't think of her name. And everything was hunky-dory. Then I watched it not too long ago, and... It ended up with Audrey Two procreating, and there's all these giant Audrey Twos all over the city, and it was eating the L trains and everything else, and the city was going up in flames. I thought, that's not how I remember it ending. And I thought, oh, Mandela effect. And you know what it was? What was it, it was the original ending. They had pre-screened it to a group of people, focus group, and they didn't like the ending. So they changed the ending to be a sweeter, kinder, more gentle ending. Oh. Yeah. So they went with the original ending rather than the... Makes sense. No, they didn't go with the original ending. They changed it to a sweet ending. It originally oh, sweet ended. Ending. Yeah, it ended horribly. Yeah. Hmm. But, but the focus group didn't like that ending. So there you go. Not, not the, <laughs> you got to be careful with the Mandela effect. It can trip you up. <laughs> it, it sure does. Creepy. Yeah. Um, so what is the voodoo computer? Oh, that was a short story I wrote about the quantum computer. I just wanted to, it, the quantum computer in some ways is so magical in its nature and behavior that I just wanted to hook it up. So I wrote a short story called, um, uh, geez, what was the name of it? Uh, Mama Doc, something was, in, and the voodoo sh- computer. Shiva, Mama Doc. In a voodoo computer. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's been a while since I wrote that short story. I have an awful lot of stories and novels and nonfiction books. You've written more books than Stephen King. (laughs) Yeah. I wish just one of them would sell that well. (laughs) Uh, Actually, some of my books do sell fairly well, and some just sort of linger there. People don't tend to buy short stories unless they're audible books. They don't... uh, they don't want short stories just to buy. Uh-huh. So short stories by themselves alone don't sell well. But yeah, Mama Doc, uh, Shiva Mama Doc and the Voodoo Computer was about this charming black lady who actually wasn't who she seemed to be, who lived in the French Quarter of New Orleans. And a student who was playing around with a quantum computer and altered reality 
and her having to interfere and get it back to where it was before. Shiva was, is known as the um, destroyer of worlds, and this kid was fooling around with something he shouldn't be fooling around with, with the quantum computer, running different simulations of the universe and causing changes, major ones in ours, like stars going nova. So she had to step in and put things back on track. I always wanted to write a sequel. I wonder if glitches in that quantum computer was what's causing our Mandela effect. Oh, I think it's a big, a big if. I mean, I think it, not a big if, but a big likelihood. Um, we didn't have this. You know, the, uh, the term Mandela effect wasn't coined until 2013. And um, it, the, we didn't start actually our very first most primitive quantum computers till 2010. Then we started getting all these weird effects. People started talking about it, and the term was coined. So it's very closely related in time, the two things. And the founder of quantum uh, computers in Canada, um, he says, and you can look it up on YouTube, he did a seminar. He says flat out on the stage, quantum computers take advantage of quantum computers in parallel worlds. That's how they can quickly do their computations so much faster than classic computers. Well, if we are accessing quantum computers in parallel worlds that are very much like ours that have them, are there side effects? Could we be causing the timelines to blur, to switch back and forth, to merge and, and separate? I mean, it's when they invented the atomic bomb, we didn't know what the side effects really were going to be. We knew there was radiation, but we didn't know all the side effects of an atomic bomb. We, we didn't know, for example, that they'd cause an EMP and an electromagnetic uh, pulse that could knock out every car and radio and electronic device in the country. Now we know, but we didn't know then. So the problem here with quantum computers is what are the side effects? Are there? Can you tap into parallel universes without causing problems? Uh, you know, quantum computers scare me more than artificial intelligence. Well, they may give rise to artificial intelligence. It may take a quantum computer oh, to be able to develop artificial intelligence. That would be a mess. Not necessarily. Why do we, we, we humanity has a Frankenstein complex. We fear our own creations. I think the first real example of it was um, Metropolis by Fritz Lang back in 1926 or so. He did the first silent movie, Metropolis, where humans were basically controlled by machines. Mm -hmm. They ran their lives, and it was only the rich who didn't have to um, kowtow to that sort of behavior. And since then, you know, ever since uh, Shelley wrote Frankenstein, we've had this fear of our own creations. Computers are going to steal jobs. Automation was going to take away all our, you know, destroy the unions. I think it kind of has, actually. Um, but, you know, we're always afraid of what we create. And it's a good thing. We should be afraid. We should be wary. We should be cautious. Well, do you think we created um, the COVID-19 virus? No, I don't. No, you think it was nature? Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's a SARS virus, and um, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories about it, but um, most scientists agree that judging by the nature of the DNA and the genetic combinations, it's natural, not man-made. There's no sign of any kind of CRISPR activity involved with it or anything like that. When you mentioned DNA, DNA is very similar to computer code, wouldn't you say? Um, 
the premise of it certainly is. In fact, we used a computer to create an artificial life form. Remember that a few years mm -hmm. back? And it was entirely created on a computer. And then they actually put together the, the, the necessary genes to create that life form. And um, I'm not sure, but uh, I think it's a major movie star now. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, we should be careful of what we create. And we do have the ability to genet uh, genetically manipulate existing creatures and to recombine them and create new creatures. We've got to be very careful. Same with AI. But you know, there's a real simple solution with AI. Turn it off. Put in a fail-safe switch. Pull the plug. Unless, they find, unless the AI is smarter than us and finds a loophole. Well, yes, and then, of course, you've got uh, Terminator, you know, I'll be back. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't think so. I mean, yes, it could have battery backup. But any, we, we are so aware of the dangers. I'm quite sure that we have, would have a series of fail-safe mechanisms just in case. There were two computers that started talking to each other. They had done a study, and it quickly stopped using standard language and created its own language to talk more quickly speedily and more precisely to each other. The scientists turned them off. They didn't like it because they didn't know what it was saying. Mm -hmm. So they simply shut them down. Now those weren't AI, but they had some of the hallmarks of AI. By the way, are you aware that a lot of uh, computer programs and computers now are capable of passing the Turing test already? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, you, you know what the Turing test is? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's created or thought up by Alan Turing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's the idea that if you don't see the other person and he's talking to you and you can't tell if it's a human or a machine and it fools you into thinking it's a human, then for all intents and purposes, it's intelligent. Spooky. Well, I mean, they even have a program now where you can call a restaurant and it picks up and answers. It will take appointments and talk to you and chat and even joke, and you can't tell it's not a real human being. They ran tests on it. So this podcast could be run by artificial intelligence instead of me. Yeah, probably better. <laughs> 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 what am I saying? They might be able to do it with guests, too. <laughs> <laughs> but would we know the difference? I don't know. What do you, what do you, when we talked about like back to the DNA thing, you know how, um, you know, there's GMO food as genetically modified food. Do you think the genetically modify humans like a GMHs? Genetically modified humans? Yeah. Uh, like, like sometimes I, I look around and I get run into people and I'm like, I'm not sure that's a hundred percent human. Well, um, I've always thought that, actually. <laughs> there goes another Neanderthal. But uh, <laughs> usually when I'm in my car and they're blocking my way, you know, but uh, it's just uh, maybe they're reptilian. You know? <laughs> so, but uh, actually, you know, they've done studies and the, the human brain isn't getting bigger. We're not getting more intelligent. In fact, they say we're it's slowly dropping a little bit. So we're getting dumber? Yeah, 
They think so compared to 10,000 years ago. Not a lot, not noticeably dumber, but a little bit, yeah. Our brain size isn't quite what it was back then. And they think it's because it doesn't need to be. Back then, you really had to have your wits about you to survive. Now in our cocooned air-conditioned environments, talking to each other via the internet, not necessary. But wouldn't that have a bad effect for us in the long run? Absolutely. In fact, Paul Anderson, a very famous science fiction writer, wrote an entire book about it. And by the way, you can get it for free off of YouTube. It's an audio book, and they have a whole bunch of audio books on there, and that's one of them. Uh, you should listen to it sometime. And it was based on fact. It was written in the 80s, I think, or maybe, yeah, I think it was the 80s. And uh, basically, it's the idea that because the more highly educated people have fewer and fewer children, that they are not reproducing themselves, whereas the uneducated are way out producing them. The average college couple doesn't even have two children anymore, but the um, uneducated do. So he took that idea and he extrapolated and he said eventually, basically what we're doing is we're breeding out the intelligent people. They're not um, reproducing. Interesting. It reminds me of that movie, I think it was called Idiocracy. Yes, that was based on the same general principle that eventually uh, we become a race of uh, morons, for want of a better word. That uh, it that it isn't necessary for us. If it's an, evolution, isn't a path from low to high complexity. It happens to be in many many cases, but actually, evolution is just whatever it takes to survive. For instance, why do giraffes have long necks? Because it was an evolutionary advantage on the savanna for them to have a long neck to reach for the trees. But evolution also allowed for other animals who grazed that didn't need to have long necks. Mm -hmm. And the same with humans. We're not, we're not evolving for higher brains necessarily. We're just evolving to fit our environment and survive. And it may or may not require high IQ or not. Wow, that's, that's a bummer. <laughs> well, most of us think so, of evolution. So, so, so we're going to lose our, we're going to be walking around with low IQs and quantum computers. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, if everything is done for you, how intelligent do you have to be? And in this book by Paul Anderson, uh, this guy lives on another planet and half the people are, are basically morons. They can't do the simplest things. So he gets in a spaceship and starts flying around trying to find some other intelligent people, ends up on Earth, and he finds out that all the intelligent people have retrenched. They all live in Australia, and all the dum-dums live all over the rest of the planet. And the intelligent people go on with their lives and are evolving and developing science, and in the process, they're also taking care of the dum-dums uh, because they're like caretakers. They, they care about humanity, and just because someone's not bright doesn't mean that they shouldn't be looked after. Interesting book. It is interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if we would look after the dum-dums, though. We would probably just discard them. Well, we're doing it now. Looking, Looking after them? It. Oh, sure. Look at all our politicians. We're taking good care of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those guys. <laughs> yeah. Those guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't vote, so I don't partake. <laughs> That's funny. That's interesting idea, though. You know, considering that like, you wrote that as like a, a fiction type of book, like that's what jumped out to me was the title. And also that you used Shiva in the title, too. It's interesting. 
I don't know. You're ahead of your time. You're very prophetic. Um, so how about your, your book? Thing for your, I think you went on mute. Uh, oh, back. I'm back. No, I think I have a wireless microphone and I think the stupid thing cut out on me. <laughs> the gods, Shiva's not happy with me. <laughs> and what were you going to say? No, I, was gonna, I was just going to say, like, like, it was interesting that you used Shiva in that title too, because, you know, in the Hindu uh, mythology, they also recognize, like, you know, other dimensions, basically, like a multiverse. Um, reality oh absolutely and according to the vedic text they recognize that there are like over 400 species of uh they call them demons but aliens that mm -hmm. lived on uh earth as overlords but also in space and that a great battle was fought and in the middle of that great battle humans revolted most humans are revolting but that aside <laughs> uh, <laughs> they uh they revolted and that even i think it was krishna i want to say krishna uh, went into a Vimana and fought a battle on the moon. Now, that's really quite something, that they thought of the moon as another real place, not just a light in the sky, like we in Western civilization did for so many centuries. You know, we didn't think anything in the sky was like Earth. but the, we, uh, thought, we thought everything was flat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. A lot like my social life. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, they uh, they were way ahead of us by a couple thousand years in that regard. And I mean, and, you know, the descriptions of the Vimana were incredible. If you've ever read it in the text, they talk about having humans, the most trusted of us, actually pilot some of them. And the Vedic texts read in that section like it was a manual for flying a Vimana and even describes partly how the things were capable of flight. But it even talked about how to avoid mid-air collisions. This is pretty incredible if it's just a legend and a myth. Yeah, it's a, a tough one to think up more than 2,000 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, they argue about how old it is. Some say it's only 1,500. Some say 1,800. Some say 2,000. Some go back as 4,000, 5,000 years ago. So, And they supposedly are rewritten copies of um, verbal uh, memories of, of, of the uh, Hindu. So there you go. Yeah, a lot of it, I guess, was uh, an oral tradition. Yeah, exactly. And then they finally codified them and put them down, as I'm pretty sure what happened with the Bible. And, uh, you know, way, way back there, the Old Testament, uh, they codified it and they left some books in and took some books out. And uh, it's interesting to note that in the Bible, there's two versions of Genesis. Yes, there is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I recently was talking to a guy who was a, um, a Protestant minister for 40 years. Uh, I was just mentioning it. I just put up the podcast today. Um, but one of the things that he said, like when I asked him, like, you know, the reason they left the Old Testament in was to prove the prophecy of Jesus was in the Old Testament. And he goes, you know, they actually added that in after Jesus. So... <laughs> Oh, really? So, that yeah. I did not know. Yeah, yeah. He said they, 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 they changed the text around to make it look like Jesus was being prophesied in the Old Testament to justify the New Testament. Really? To make him a Messiah, yes. But doesn't the Jewish version of the Old Testament, the original, the Torah, uh, refer to a Messiah? 
Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Mm. But uh, I mean, he was the closest thing to an expert that I know on it. See, now I'm the host and you're the guest. I'm asking you the questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have those answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it does refer to a Messiah. I don't know. And the Jewish people don't accept Christ as the Messiah. So they're actually still waiting for it, I believe, is, is how it goes. Well, I, I think he was talking more about, um, like, Jesus' birthplace and stuff like that. Oh, and his lineage, too, because they do yeah. one at length of the House of David and all that. Yeah. Right. He said yeah. all that was put in. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I should read the Bible more often. <laughs> they, try, they try to make it more legit. Huh. So they uh, they rewrote a few texts there, did they? That's what he says. I mean, obviously, I don't know. You know, I wasn't there, so I don't know what Well, happened. you know, a lot of theologians say that the, a lot of the Bible, the New Testament especially, was written well after the time of Christ, you know, 30, 40, 70 years later, some of it, you know, and that a lot of books were put into it, and a lot of, a lot of them weren't. Just like the Old Testament. I don't believe the book of Enoch is in the Old Testament, is it? I don't know. Actually, no, no, it's not. You're right, no. it's not. Uh-uh, I didn't think so. Yeah, no. it's not in there. Yeah, and yet a lot of people go by it in the UFO world. It is a real book. It, it, you can read it. Well, gospel, where did it come from? Was it from the Dead Sea Scrolls where they found it? Uh, no, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, I don't think it was the Dead Sea Scrolls. The, um, it was, um, they just had a lot of books back then, and some were included in the Old Testament, and some weren't. For instance, Genesis, there was the two versions, one where Adam and Eve were pretty much equal, and one where Adam was the superior of the two. And the Jews, being a patriarchal society, chose the version where Jesus was superior to the woman, and it was all the woman's fault, basically, the fall from grace. Um, but they still refer to the other version in the, in the text, so it gets a little confusing. Uh, I mean, we keep wondering if there was only Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and one of them was killed. Mm -hmm. uh, who did the other one marry? How does the human race continue? Well, the Bible says uh, he intermarried with the people from the land of Nod. And it's like, well, where did they come from? I thought the first people were Adam and Eve, and I don't remember them having any kids called Naughty. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you have to understand that according to theologians, not me now because I'm no expert on this, but most theologians with a Catholic or um, Protestant will admit that the Bible is a series of books that were codified for a certain reason, and that the New Testament under, uh, I think it was King Emperor Constantine, was also codified the same way because they wanted certain books in there and they wanted other books that weren't in there. So a lot of books were left out. And according to, uh, supposedly the Gospels, according to St. Thomas, was left out, the Apostle Thomas. Yes. And uh, even did a movie about it called Stigmata. Mm -hmm. see so yeah i mean it, history is interesting we it's awfully hard to wouldn't you love to have a time machine and be able to go back i would yeah i'd love to where, go back where would you go where would be your favorite place to go my favorite place to go yeah what time i'm gonna have to say samaria ancient samaria why because i want to know if those Sumerian tablets are actually talking about ancient aliens. The Anunnaki, you mean? Yep. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, according to the Sumerians, life is pretty brutal. 
like the Vedic texts, they talk about an alien race that came to Earth and became the overlords. And they weren't very nice people, you know. Yeah. They And they uh, bred us up like cattle to do all the hard labor for them. And by the way, the uh, cuneiform writings of the Sumerians talk about us rebelling as well. So there you have it in the Sumerian texts and also the Vedic texts of India. Yeah, they definitely sort of jive. Yeah, and, and I find that interesting too. I'm not sure. And also, by the way, the Sumerians had a terrible afterlife, you know, believed in one. I mean, uh, their real lives must have been pretty horrible because their afterlife was they were basically <laughs> ghosts living in a gray world, eating clay and nothing but ashes everywhere. I mean, yeah. doesn't that sound like, yeah. Love, 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 is, love is just all you can eat clay. <laughs> hey, I think that's a Kit Kat bar over there. <laughs> <laughs> No, nope, just a lump of cake. There, there, right. There's no, there's no confusion. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have your tea, one lump or two. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, um, Jiffy peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, Jiffy, yeah, Jiffy peanut butter. Yeah, we don't have any of that. So <laughs> never did. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it doesn't sound like I, that's not where I'd want to go. Mm -mm. Where would you want to go? I'd like to, as Robert Silverberg, the sci-fi writer, he wrote a, a story, a novella called Sailing to Byzantium. And I would love to see Byzantium at its peak. I would love to have, have gone there at the height of the empire and seen it. Maybe Rome, too. I, I swear I have memories of Rome. And I've had them since I was a little kid. And I'd just like to see ancient Rome and see if it triggered those. Do you believe in reincarnation? I do. Do you? Yeah. What were you in a past life? I have no idea. I don't remember. Probably just annoying, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was probably a podcast host. <laughs> probably a podcast, yeah. <laughs> probably a herald, you know, going up and down the street, ringing your bell. and, and <laughs> podcast. That's how they podcast in those days. But, uh, or carving in rocks or something. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever have any memories that you can't account for? Mm, no. 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 I would like to try to do some type of past life regression. Um, yeah, I wouldn't rely on that too much. But I wouldn't. Well, somebody told me like not to rely on the hypnotist, but actually there's ways to do it yourself that are probably more reliable. Yeah, there is. You can buy the uh, self-hypnosis CDs or DVDs or whatever they are now. and uh, Or you can actually even go on YouTube and they have them on there. You can yeah, that's what, that's what he was saying. He was saying to do that. Um, on YouTube, he yeah, has some videos. His name, the guy, I just did an episode, I haven't posted it yet, but there's somebody, his name is Rad Al, or uh, JMD Board. And uh, we did like a two hour episode on reincarnation. <laughs> what would you get if you painted every car in the country pink? A lot of pink cars. No, you'd have a pink carnation. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I know. I know. I think I read it on a bubblegum wrapper when I was seven. But <laughs> but it sounded like reincarnation. It's the only joke I have. <laughs> but uh, so you've never had any memories at all that you can't account for? No. I, except I always kind of felt if I could have chosen a life, it would be the life of a pirate. You've been watching too many Pirates of the Caribbean movies. No, I'm not really a fan of those those movies, actually. I mean, like a real grimy, dirty pirate. 
Hmm. Funny you should mention that because today I was looking up my old house that I had built in Florida. It was in Pirate Harbor on Captain Kidd Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. My girlfriend says, sounds like you live in Disneyland, Rob. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was Captain Kidd Boulevard. But isn't that a coincidence? You mentioned pirates and I was just looking it up is. Pirate Harbor. Yeah. So why pirates of all things? I have no idea. I Not have at no all. idea. It's just that that lifestyle would appeal appeals to me. The idea of just being completely free and lawless and depending. So you'd have to be the captain in that case, wouldn't you? Because if you're one of the crew, you weren't free, and you might be lawless, but you weren't free. Well, I guess I would settle for lawless then. <laughs> Wenching and rum, huh? Yeah. yeah. It just seems like a great way to live. Oh, I don't know. You'd be dirty all the time. Filthy, basically. Hardly ever take a bath. Uh, Man, I-, I was like that when I was playing in a punk rock band. And health plans would be non-existence. You, you know, you ever see pictures of pirates that are always missing teeth? Oh, someone's yeah. always trying to kill you with a saber or a sword. Uh, the, someone's always chasing you. But, but if, if reincarnation is a real thing... You don't have to really give a shit about it. Well, you do when it's happening to you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this may be a simulation, but I slammed my thumb in the dishwasher the other day, and it hurt. It? Yeah, actually, I got a little black and blue on my thumbnail. You couldn't, like, overcome the pain with the power of your mind? No, I was trying to make my uh, thumb look like an illusion, so, you know, it wouldn't really be there. Didn't really work. <laughs> if this is an illusion, it's a very powerful illusion. That's what I'm saying. It is. But, but really, we are illusions. I mean, if you think about it, we're 99.999999% vacuum. Yep, there's all kinds of stuff passing right through my body right now. Well, neutrinos, cosmic yeah. rays, all that sort of stuff. But I mean, your atom is 99.9999999 goes on percent vacuum. So you put all those atoms together in molecules and you add it all up and sum total it. You're still 9.999999% vacuum. The only thing that keeps you from being able to put your hand through a desk or a wall is the uh, nuclear force, the repulsion. You, uh, your body just doesn't want to do that. And neither does anything else that's solid. But so it's solid like when you, take, when you take like a magnet and you turn them around and they won't touch each other. Right, exactly. That's what prevents us from uh, just... So if you want to know if a ghost can ever walk through another ghost, the answer is probably not because we're ghosts. And now they're saying we're probability waves. That at any given instant, we're just a probability that's likely to collapse in the most probable state. And... Uh, that's creepy because um, if it's true, then reality, and, and now, just recently, like in the last couple of weeks, quantum physics has come up with this thing where um, even even what we observe, they used to think that once it collapsed, it was in a real state. That was reality. If you observe a particle and it's you don't observe it, it's a wave. But if you observe it, it collapses into a real solid particle. Uh-huh. Now, now they're saying no, that it's a matter of a point of view. If you took a scientist and had him observing a particle and wave form inside of a box, and you were standing outside that box and had no way of what the 
scientist was seeing in the box, he might very well see that wave collapse into a particle. But for you, it's still in a state of superposition. It's, it hasn't collapsed. So reality may simply be where you're standing, your point of view. So you should have been able to stop your thumb from hurting. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you should have been able to stop your thumb from hurting. I don't know. I, I mean, if, if, if it's just a probability. It's really rather a lovely shade of purple. I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because we're, we're collapsing into the most probable state doesn't mean that that state doesn't have validity. But what does it have? Not much, actually. <laughs> But it, I mean, if you're on the quantum level, it's, it, it, time doesn't even seem to run in a straight line. We can do a cause and effect experiment on the quantum level, change the outcome, and it changes the cause after the fact. They've done it. They know it's true. The only thing that keeps us sane is that they say the quantum world is separated from the macro world, our world of everyday things, stars, trees, people, cars, and that the quantum level... Um, and classical level, which is us, macro, don't behave the same way, that there's a barrier between the two. Well, now they're finding out that that's not true either. They, uh, they've created a quantum drum. It's very tiny, but you can see it unaided with the naked eye. And they have proven that it can be in a, two states at once. It's superimposed. It suffers superposition. And we can see it with our eyes. That's, mm. that's macro level. That's classical level. So the, the, that nice barrier we thought that existed between us and the nutty world of the quantum isn't nearly so solid as we thought. It's quite porous, as a matter of fact. Are you sure this isn't some type of silliness? Um, you mean our conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that is, actually. <laughs> But yeah, the uh, now I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> now the uh, quantum world and the macro world aren't quite as separate as we once thought, and that is why a lot of scientists are beginning to wonder about the nature of reality completely. And by the way, if you, if exact copies of you exist in other timelines infinitely, then where does the idea of the soul comes in and uniqueness? Maybe the soul is shared in all those bodies, but without any conscious knowledge of the other one? Yes, that's, that's my theory, actually, and I call it the hypersoul. And it's in my new book, uh, Quantum Immortality and Life After Death. Whoa, where is this book? I'm still writing it. <laughs> I, I finished the first draft. I'm editing it now. I have to, I have to fact check the heck out of this because it, it can get a little deep at times. Really? Mm-hmm. This is great news. I had no idea. Yeah, it'll answer all your questions. Not. <laughs> no, I, I need all these questions answered. Yeah, well, I won't do that. <laughs> no, I, 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 you have to. I rely on you for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good luck with that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really am sorry about that, but what the heck, right? <laughs> I, I mean, what are you gonna, what's this book going to be out? It should be out at the end of September. End of September. Mm -hmm. Why not just release it now? Just because it's it's a grammatical mess right you now. Don't, you don't need to edit. You want to bet? <laughs> Editing is not fun. 
Editing is horrible because uh, I'm also an editor and proofreader, and uh, I do that on the side for a living. And I have to tell you, I am so sick of reading the same material over and over and over. You get to where I actually have the computer read it out loud to me because my mind stops seeing what's on the page. Mm -hmm. You know, like there might be two thes in a row. Just an example because spell checking actually catches that. But I, my mind, my eyes don't see it anymore. But if it, it's read aloud to me, then I catch it going the the, and I right. think, oh, there's a mistake. I do the same thing when do I'm you? editing. I have my computer read it back to me, and I can catch the mistakes easier by listening to it than reading it. Yeah, it really helps. What do you write? I have a book out called Enlightenment Guaranteed, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. And is it the only book on Zen we'll ever need? Absolutely. I guarantee it. If you, if, you don't, if you don't reach enlightenment from my book, I'll give you your money back. Well, you don't seem to have reached it. <laughs> <laughs> so how is that a good testimonial for your book? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I, think, I, I think if a person has actually reached enlightenment, they're not going to run around telling other people. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I had a friend who used to say, well, you don't understand because you're not in this, you haven't graduated the same level I'm at yet. And I thought, well, who the heck do you think you are, you arrogant so-and-so? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, I, and I thought, you're not on a higher level because someone on a higher level wouldn't say that. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but now yeah, they were, oh, the, go ahead. The premise of the book, though, is like that everybody's already enlightened, but it's just clouded by ignorance. Everyone else's ignorance? Because I'm sure that's not me. Well, <laughs> well just our, our own lack of, of awareness. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm a genius and you're all sheeple, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, did you ever read the Celestine Prophecies? You see the movie? Um, no, I have not. It's, I, think, it's, I think I have it on my Kindle, but I've never actually read it. Oh, well, the movie's on uh, YouTube. You can watch the movie. Hmm. It follows the book pretty closely. It's fiction, but it's interesting because it talks about reaching higher levels of existence vibrationally and that sort of thing. And uh, I find it very intriguing, very Zen-like in some ways. Interesting. Oh, so, yeah. And I'm also going to work on three more books now for the podcast. So I have what, more books coming out. Zen part two? Zen part three? No, no, no. No more Zen books. Uh -huh. I'm done with the Zen books. But they're going to be based on the interviews and some of the stuff that I've learned doing the podcast. You know what would be cool is to, I would love a book, and no one's ever done it as far as I know, of people who do these sorts of interviews and remember all the funniest things that came out of them or the craziest things. Uh, I think that would be very interesting to read mm -hmm. a book like that. I mean, because I don't listen to a lot of shows. I never seem to have time anymore. I'm on them, but I don't listen to a lot of them. I try right. to. I, I listened to Gary Anderson, one of his shows last week. And, uh, it, but you know, an hour, two hours, it's when I'm supposed to be writing, not listening, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Like me, like I don't really get to listen to them either. I mean, I'm recording one or two episodes a day, so I don't really, plus working full time. Yeah, what am I going to listen to a podcast in my sleep? <laughs> well, see, I don't, I don't uh, work full time, and uh, I would advise you strongly not to listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you may regret it, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, life is very strange. Uh, do you get synchronicities? Yes, absolutely. I get a lot of them. 
Yeah, I absolutely do. What's I, the most powerful one you've ever gotten? Um, I don't know. That's like a really tough question. See, here I am being the host because again. <laughs> you know, like like my whole life is just a series of synchronicities. Really, I've never planned any of my life. You know? I think you're confusing the term synchronicity with catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> but, so. What do you mean uh, your whole life is a series of synchronicities? Well, it just happens. Give me the definition of a synchronicity. It's when two things are in sync with each other. Well, actually, it's a little more than that. That could be a coincidence. Um, mm -hmm. Carl Jung coined the phrase, and he defined it as a coincidence that's too meaningful to be ignored. Hmm. So is your life all Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, actually. Okay. This is a pretty recent one. Growing up, my, growing up as a kid, my parents' post office box was always P.O. Box 52. We had to go to the mail, you know, the post office to get our mail where I grew up. And, um, and they died, and I moved down here to Alabama. And I was questioning, you know, like whether I should stay here or not, you know, because it hasn't been that great of an experience. And my mailbox, my mailbox in my complex was 13. And then one day they, they changed all our mailboxes around. And now my mailbox is 52. Well, how but, is that a synchronicity? Well, I think that's a sign that says that, well, I mean, first of all, out of all the numbers, how that ended up with 52 again. And, and I think it was a sign for me to stay. To or stay to home. leave. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 13 may have been decided to leave. You know, I had a secret issue with 13. Um, yesterday, my mother was born on Friday the 13th. She died on the 13th of September. Oh, my mom was also born on Friday the 13th in July. Really? Yes. Oh, my, my mother was May, May the 13th. Hmm. And then uh, I looked up a half sister that I haven't been in touch with for 20 years just to see how things are going with her. And her 43-year-old son died this year on May 13th, which I thought was strange. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good synchronicity, but a no. synchronicity or a coincidence, you know. My mother said, always said 13 was her lucky number. Well, you know, it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had That's a so really... Funny. My mom used to say that too. Did she? She did. You're saying she did? Yeah, she always said that 13 was her lucky number. Oh, yeah. Well, she's still alive, I hope. No. Oh, I'm sorry. She passed too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things about life. Everybody dies in the end. Yeah. Well, maybe get reincarnated, you know? Yeah, that's probably what happens. Though I had the strongest synchronicity I ever had lasted for a week. A week? Yep. I had been planning to go to England and stop me if I've already told you this. I'd been planning to go to England and I had a friend in England and I'd only met him like twice before via the internet. And he said that my father and I could stay with him when we came. And then he, I was reading to my father from um, the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. Mm -hmm. And it was on the chapter about uh, the um, Christ supposedly having visited England and that he, uh, uh, Mary Magdalene was buried in the Roseline Chapel, Roseline Chapel in Scotland. Uh -huh. And that was a ley line that ran down through England, right through Glastonbury Abbey and Glastonbury Tor. And I just finished reading the chapter and checked my email. And my friend had said, 
I've never been to Glastonbury. When you guys come, I think I'm going to take you to the Abbey there, to the tour. I never even heard of them before, until I read the book by Dan Brown. <laughs> so here's the second part. When we got there, we traveled from where he lived to uh, Glastonbury Abbey, Glastonbury Tor, Wells Cathedral in the city of Wells, a small city, only a city by name because of the cathedral, which made it a city. And then we went up to uh, the Lake District and stayed on Lake Coniston for five days. And then from there, we drove up to see a Stonehenge, not the Stonehenge, but a Stonehenge. There's a lot of them. And then from there, we pushed my friend to drive even further to take us to Hadrian's Wall, the Roman wall across England. And then after that, we drove home. And on the way home, I said, please, could we stop in Wales? Never been there. I want to say I've been there. So we stopped in a town or a village called Roglin and went to Roglin Castle, then went home. We got home, we unpacked, we sat in the living room, he turned on the TV, didn't even change the channel, and there was an hour-long show about a photographer in the early 1900s who developed a color film, one of several of the time, and he wanted to prove how good it was. So he took his family on a trip, and the whole show was a documentary of that trip, uh, taken by him with his original photos, rather badly colored, but they were there. And he went to Glastonbury Abbey, Glastonbury Tor, Wells Cathedral, went up to the Lake District and stayed on Lake Coniston, then went up and stopped at the Stonehenge we stopped at, and then went to Hadrian's Wall. And then on the way home, and this was a week-long trip, he stopped in Roglin and went to Roglin Castle. And I had told my friend about synchronicities. And when the show ended, we were dead silent. None of us had spoken through the entire show. It was like there was a spell on us. I mean, we were just absolutely dead silence, and the tension kept mounting. And at the end of the show, he turned off the TV and I looked over at him and I said, now do you see what I mean about synchronicities? And he said, yes, I do, Rob. And I said, well, what do you think about it? He says, I don't. I go, what do you mean you don't? He says, I don't think about it and I'm not going to think about it ever. And you know, he wouldn't talk about it ever after that, even to this day. And that was back in 2012. Wow. Yeah. So, so what do you think causes these synchronicities? Well, I, if you ever read uh, Michael Talbot's, the um, holographic universe. He talks at length about synchronicities, and he says that they are a message from the universe. The synchronicity itself isn't the message. It's the whole synchronicity that's the message. It's basically saying there's more to the universe than we know and understand. Hmm. Well, I think that's pretty obvious. Well, it is to me now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know. I have a friend who won't talk to me, you know. <laughs> he won't talk to you at all? Oh, no, he'll talk to me, but he won't talk, about, he won't talk about that event. No, I've tried to raise the, uh, you know, I go every other year, and uh, he absolutely will not talk about it. Well, just, well, it's outside of his realm of reality, and he does not want to deal with it. It's like he shuts his eyes and says, block, block, you can't see me. <clears throat> Do you think Mary Madeline had Jesus' child? Do I think who? Do you think she had Jesus' child and ran away with him? <laughs> I think Mary Magdalene existed, number one. I don't think she's what the Catholic Church made her out to be in around the, was it 14th or 16th century? when they turned her into a um, prostitute, which she never was. She was from a wealthy family. And uh, I do believe she was uh, with Christ. It, number one, it was highly unlikely for a Jew to be 30 
something years old and not to have been married. It was unheard of. It was anathema. You had to have kids. You had to. It was, you know, it was part of the deal. And secondly, um, she was very close to him to the point where Peter even talks about being jealous of her. He didn't like her. He didn't like her closeness to Christ. And uh, I think she probably was his common-law wife, at least. Hmm. So, so, so there's probably relatives of Jesus around. Well, that was the whole thrust of Dan Brown's book, yeah. The Da Vinci Code, which, by the way, was based on another highly researched and nonfiction book by two other authors, can't think of their names, but they both had PhDs. And he was even sued over it because so much of his work came from theirs. Uh -huh. But his was fiction and a derivative, so he won the lawsuit. But, uh, yeah, the um, uh, the Da Vinci Code, there seems to be real evidence for it. I've been to the uh, Louvre in Paris, and I've seen that pyramid. And it is off limits to go, uh, it was when I went there, to go below it. And I did see the brass inserts in the road of the ley line, the Rose Line, the Roslyn. And I did go to Roslyn Chapel in Scotland. Uh, and... It is right on the rose line with Glastonbury Abbey. Uh, oh, by the way, I drank from the sacred chalice well at Glastonbury Abbey, too. It's supposed to grant you eternal life. Did it work? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not judging by my thumb. but <laughs> <laughs> I like to research all this stuff. I have a real curiosity about all this stuff. And yeah, I'm convinced she, was, she existed. I'm convinced she was his wife in some fashion. And it's highly probable she had his child. Who do you think her child was? I think it was one of the, uh, of the uh, family that has descended from there. The, uh, the Sinclair? Sinclairs, yeah. St. Clair originally, yeah. And then became St. Clair in France. And then moved over here to Oak Island? Well, they moved to England. Uh, Scotland, Sinclair, and there is a there is a um, noble house of Sinclair in England. Yeah, and uh, supposedly they are descendants of the Christ. At least they'd like you to think so. Now, Oak Island is a different matter. I mean, were they ever on Oak Island? I don't know. That's pretty iffy stuff. You think there's anything buried there? You think who Christ is buried in O'Connor? Yeah, that's actually that's actually what I think. He is buried there, actually. I don't think so. I think he's at the Louvre in Paris. Hmm. He's below the sacred pyramid, the male symbol, and or I'm sorry, Mary Magdalene is. Are we talking about right. Mary Magdalene now or Christ? Christ. Well, we're pretty sure Christ died in uh, Jerusalem, aren't we? Well, you know, I heard a story that. Um, Judas was his brother, and Judas felt bad for betraying Jesus and took his place on the cross. And that's why Judas cried, and that's why they did that song. Now it's Judas' turn to cry. Judas, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Jesus ran off to France. Well, that's a pretty iffy one, too, isn't it? I mean, and there it, were witnesses. And he became a painter. He became a painter? Mm-hmm. As yeah. in, like, art or, like, house painting? Art. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, man, I've I read the story on the internet. Yeah, well, that makes true. it, then it must be true. <laughs> no, I don't think he made it to Oak Island. And I don't think Mary Magdalene did either. And I don't think the Ark of the Covenant is there either. Uh, uh, I think the Ark is in uh, Ethiopia. 
Yeah, I do too, actually. I think it's in Ethiopia as well. It seems to be the most likely. Am I absolutely sure of it? No, of course not. But, you know, given my druthers, I, someone pointed a gun at my head and said, where is it? I'd say, uh, probably Ethiopia. And of course yeah. the gun would go off. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you have to, again, it's like probability waves. You have to pick the most likely, don't you? Yes. You know, if there's more than one explanation for something, you take the simplest, Occam's razor. Sometimes, but... Oh, really? Give me an example when you don't do that. Me? Personally? Well, one, if you, want to, if you don't want to be that personal. Well, I mean, I moved from New Jersey to Alabama. <sighs> I mean, that, was a, uh, uh, that, that, that was an unlikely <laughs> move. Was that another one of those good synchronicities? It's still to be determined. Mm. How long have you lived in Alabama? Uh, three years. Oh. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> you have tenacity. I'll give you that. Persistence. Uh, uh, where are you at? You want to um, still I'm in, in North Pirate Cove in Florida? No, no, no. Uh, Pirate Harbor uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Captain Kid Boulevard. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm in uh, North Carolina now. I'm uh, in a outside of a town called Randleman, about 15 minutes due south of Greensboro, which is right in the center of the state. I'm as far from hurricanes and tornadoes and blizzards as you can get. Sounds boring. No, not really. Um, I have a lake here. Um, I saw a beaver. Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight of the last decade. <laughs> well, I was right. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a lovely environment. It really is. But being of a scientific mind and not being terribly religious, I did have to adjust to the culture here, which is highly religious. Um, you know, it's, 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 it takes some getting used to to have someone when you go to Walmart say, "Have a blessed day" every time you leave. It's Same not here. a bad. It's not a bad thing, but it's not something I was brought. And I had a man knock on my door once. He showed me a picture of his dog. And he says it ran away. Have you seen it? And I said, "No, I'm sorry, I haven't." He says, "What church do you go to?" I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, I was wondering if you'd like to join ours if you're new in the neighborhood." And I said, "Oh no, no, I'm." Uh, and I, I lied. I don't know what I said, but I told him I was in some other church or other, but because uh, I don't like to hurt their feelings. But by the same token, I was brought up that you didn't ask that sort of thing, that it was considered rude and too personal. Mm -hmm. You know, like asking someone, what's your annual salary? Yeah. You know, I mean, you just don't do that. But down here, it's perfectly acceptable. It's the same here in Alabama, too. I was, I was, yeah, yeah. In fact, when I was doing real estate, I had a guy who was trying to get me to join his, like, his team. And um, so he took me out to lunch and I'm like, okay, I'll go out to lunch. And he asked me, one of the things he asked me goes, um, what church do you go to? The exact same thing. I was like, well, I don't go to church. And he goes, oh, um, no, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> and, and he goes, do you, do you believe in God? I'm like, ah, I don't know, you know. And he goes, well, if there's no God, where do we come from? And I said, oh, probably aliens. And he, he pulled out his wallet, paid for lunch, and sent me on. <laughs> <laughs> is that right really yes <laughs> uh, i um I, I i just try to sidestep it because i know they mean well it's their culture and cultures do different uh in the united states where you you know washington state versus florida versus maine versus california uh the south versus anywhere else on the planet 
and uh, anywhere else on the planet versus the South. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I mean, it, it does take getting used to. I'm just not, I mean, I've lived all over. I've lived in Massachusetts, New Jersey. Where in New Jersey did you live? Princeton. Oh, okay. I lived in a little town called Keensburg when I was young. A boardwalk town on the Atlantic. Oh, near like Seaside? Yeah, right by the Seaside. Uh, yeah. I didn't live on the shore, but I lived about like five blocks from it. Hmm. You know, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've lived in California. I've stayed up in, uh, I was born in Texas, lived in Florida, uh, went to school in Canada, lived in Australia as a kid. And I have to tell you, the, the biggest culture shock I've had is living in the South. Yeah, I never lived anywhere else except New Jersey, and then I moved here. That must have been a culture shock for you. Yeah, it, it, it was. And, and, and like, you know, I, I kind of realized now, like with that conversation with that guy, I, I totally had made a mistake, you know? Yeah, it was a cultural mistake. It's one that wouldn't have bothered anybody in California or anywhere else, but it bothers them here. Yeah. We're in the Bible Belt, you know? And uh, you have to get used to that idea that they're very religious folk. More power to them. I wish I had the power to believe like that. I just don't. Yeah. I, want, I want facts. I want evidence. I mean, I will say, like, since doing the podcast, I believe that there's probably some type of intelligence behind our existence. But yeah. I, I don't believe that, I don't believe it in a religious context. I believe it more in, you know, a holographic universe type of context. Well, just yesterday, someone accused me of being an atheist on, uh, on Facebook. And I, and I said, you're, she said, you're an admitted atheist. I said, I am not. I have not ever said I'm an atheist. I said, if anything, I'm probably a, an agnostic because I really don't know, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to, and to me, being an atheist is just as far one way as being absolute religious is another. It, it is, it is. Yeah, yeah, and I'm more middle of the road. I mean, no, uh, uh, they can't prove there is a God to me, but by the same token, atheists can't prove that there isn't a God to me. So I'm right in the middle. I'm, I'm wishy-washy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the jury's still out. Yeah. I'm open-minded again. So I'm going to go with the probability that maybe there's something conscious. But what that is, I don't think us as human beings have the ability to understand it or know what it wants. And do you think consciousness survives death? I do. Why? Because of that seizure incident, that that kind of convinced me. Okay, okay. I have so, actually so, had so a it was couple an experience. of yeah. I've had a couple of out of body experiences, which, if they were dreams, they're incredibly realistic ones. And I have a lot of flying dreams, which I absolutely love. There's no such thing as a bad flying dream. They're always marvelous. It is the most free feeling in the world. And of course, a lot of experts, like was it Robert Monroe in his book? He talks about flying dreams being the first stages of an out-of-body experience. While you're asleep and dreaming, you're beginning to feel yourself floating out of your body, and that translates into a flying dream. That's pretty cool. I've, I don't know if I've ever had a flying dream. I've had a lot of dreams where I'm falling. Oh, yeah. Uh, everyone has those. You ever hit? I don't think so. No, me neither. No. They say if you do, you're dead. Yeah, I don't think I believe that. I don't believe it either, although I don't want to test the theory either. But, uh, but yeah, I, I've had a lot of flying dreams, yeah. yeah. Some so real that when I wake up, I wonder if I can actually fly. 
I think that's the way it was sort of with me during the seizure too. Was it? Yeah, yeah. So have you had epilepsy all your life? Well, that's a good question, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got a good answer? <laughs> well, you know, when I was younger, I used to, you know, do a lot of drinking and drugs and stuff like that. And, and I would black out. But I never considered it a seizure, you know. Mm -hmm. I would just wake up in some bushes or a backyard or in the back of a car, whatever. You were a party animal. I was. Yeah. And, um, but, but, but because of that, you know, I said, man, this, I got to stop doing this. And I stopped. And then after that, I would have like mild episodes, you know, of like dizziness or um, I would have like speech issues where I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to just talk properly and stuff like that. Uh -huh. And then I had a couple of, of episodes where I blacked out completely, but they were very short. So I, I would just dismiss them. And plus, most of the time, I didn't have health insurance to go to a doctor. Um, uh. And then this, but this last one was like the one. <laughs> oh, really? And how recent was that? Uh, I think it was about a year ago. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, at least they're not coming every week or every hour. No, right? no. It, no they, put, they put me on medication and I'm fine. But now I think, uh, I, was, I was interviewing this other guy, and he had epilepsy, and he said he didn't take his medication because he considered his seizures a spiritual experience. Well, it used to and be that called... Makes me, that makes me think, like, well, maybe I should stop taking the medication and just have seizures and, and see what happens. Well, I'd be careful with that. Uh, they did, by the way, it used to be known as the disease of the gods by the ancient Greeks and Romans. Yeah. And Alexander the Great had it. So, uh, I mean, it dates way back, but uh, I would be careful because um, uh, a radio announcer, who's a show I'm on frequently, uh, his son just passed away about a month or so ago, and he was epileptic, and apparently, apparently, they're not sure, uh, died during an epileptic seizure. He was alone it's at the It's pretty time. rare to die from it. Yeah, it is, yeah. But apparently he was subject to grand malls, and quite often, I don't know, but... Uh, if, if there's a medication that's working for you, I'd kind of stick with it. I got to say, though, it's a cool feeling. <laughs> well, getting high is a cool feeling, too. But the hangover in the morning isn't so great, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was the bummer, was the, the three days in the hospital plus the bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Some fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> for, 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 for a 20-minute astral trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the biggest astral trip I had in an OBE was where I was dreaming, I'm sure, but I had a flying dream. And then I had, it was a lucid dream. I realized I was dreaming. And I thought, okay, I'm having a flying dream. It's lucid. Maybe it's an OBE. I try to fly out into space. And I did. I went past the moon. I clearly remember sailing by the moon and it was off to my right. And I got well past it. But Suddenly I had this intense fear, terrible fear that the silver thread would break or whatever, because I'd read it in mm -hmm. Robert Mon uh, Monroe's book. And the minute I had the fear, snap, I was right back in my body, instantly. Hmm. But it was a beautiful dream, except for when the fear hit. And according to his book, if you do get fear like that, when you have these OBEs, you probably should lay off them for a while until you're, you get over that fear thing, because it's not good. Ha have you ever tried like psychedelics? 
Yes, once or twice. <laughs> do, do you, so, so what do you think about like, like doing ayahuasca and mushrooms and DMT and stuff like that? Um, let me see. How do I say this politically correctly? <laughs> um, I thoroughly enjoyed the experiences. And uh, the uh, the one on uh, on acid the next day left me completely wiped out, mm-hmm. and uh, I've never done it since then. And that was a couple decades ago. And the reason was I just didn't want to be wiped out the next day. It wasn't like a hangover. I just felt washed out like a limp rag for the whole day. Uh, it must have had a lot of um, oh, what's that strychnine? Strychnine in it? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't get the shakes or anything like that. I just felt absolutely washed out. But I never had so much fun in my life as I did on that. <laughs> and now I haven't uh, had the uh, ayahuasca, but I would be tempted to try it just once. Again, I have a curious nature, and me it probably too. will get me in trouble. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I want answers, and maybe the medicine man, man had the right idea, you know? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I do know that um, reality, while I was high that one time, uh, was incredibly uh, marvelous experience. Uh, now, I know some people don't have a good time, and that scares me too. And I'm a coward by nature, so I tend to avoid that these days. Hmm. As you get older, you know you get more mellow. Yeah, yeah. And I never was an Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, it wasn't like I used to get high all the time or something. It uh-huh. was just experimentation is all it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I smoked angel dust for three months. Really? Yeah. My brothers did that and ended up in the hospital when he was a teenager. Hmm. I don't think that well, stuff's anything to fool around with, is it? I don't know. Like, I, I do think it, it helped me in a way because when I was a kid – you know, I definitely had like a learning disability and dyslexia and stuff like that. And after that, I didn't have it anymore. Yeah, my father had dyslexia. I used to read to him because he couldn't read well. I mean, he was perfectly capable of reading, but he said the, the words would sort of crawl towards the center of the uh, binding at the center of the pages. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I used to read books out loud to him, including Dan Brown's um, uh, The Da Vinci Code. But um Actually, they've just done studies very recently on it, and they found that people who take psychedelics moderately, and even just once or twice, that it can do permanent alteration in their uh, bodies, or at least their minds, and it actually seems to lower the risk of depression and alleviates the symptoms of depression. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think there's medicinal purposes, and I think it can change disorders in the brain. Well, absolutely. I mean, nothing is all bad or all good. I mean, even uh, cocaine, I mean, it comes from opium, and it was one of the first great anesthetics that we used to kill pain, morphine. Mm-hmm. You know? And, of course, there was a horrible risk of being addicted to it, but if you're in a battlefield and you're bleeding profusely and had your leg butchered off, having pain relief is a marvelous and wonderful thing. It keeps you from dying of shock. Yeah, my great grandfather was a coal miner and he had black lung and they used to give him cocaine for it oh for the good old days huh yeah <laughs> remember when coca Cola? no you're too young but <laughs> I, I know it was in there though <laughs> yeah it was it, back around the early 1900s it was yeah 
And you know, uh, opium was perfectly legal back then too. Hmm. Like, I, it's weird. I, I never really liked cocaine. Um, I tried it twice, and all it did was numb the tip of my nose. Mm-hmm. And the person who was trying to sell it to me said, well, it's an acquired, uh, acquired high. And I said, at 50 bucks a gram, I'm not going to acquire it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I never really got into that at all. Again, I was more of an experimenter. Someone had a peyote, and they gave me a, you know, some of that to drink. And I tried mushrooms once and LSD, I think, a total three times. And actually, that's it. So I'm pretty much of a wimp in that respect. Hey, you tried it. Yeah, I tried it. And you know. with mixed results. Some of it I liked, some of it I didn't. You know. But, but the dangers of the dangers of addiction have always scared me, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, my brother had an addictive nature and for a while was addicted on stuff and so I uh, avoided drugs of any sort assiduously most of my life. And only once in a while would let my hair down and try it. Um cannabis I like that too, but you know, it's just, uh, it, it saps your will to do anything. Uh, you know, if you're high on cannabis, it's not like you're going to write the great American novel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a very short one. <laughs> very short one. Although one of my stories on Amazon, which is in a hardbound edition from Aberrant Dreams magazine and also appeared in the magazine and got a lot of critical acclaim from the other authors, sci-fi authors, uh, Bradbury County was written as a result of my having been high on cannabis back in like 2009. Hmm. Yeah. So you did some of your best work. Well, it's the only one I did like that, but, uh, but actually, it, yeah, it went over pretty big. Uh, the editor said he had authors calling from Maine and California saying, how many different authors' names are embedded in this story? And have I found them all? And they say, I found 19, I found 20. None of them ever actually got the total number. So, Because what I did was I, I used authors' names, the first name of one author, the last name of another, and, uh-huh. and mixed and matched them and put them in the story. So all the authors are trying to find their names in the story. That's so a way to sell cool. a book. Yeah, helps sell yeah. the book. Yeah. Excellent. That's genius, actually. Yeah, every sci-fi author in the country owns that story. <laughs> <laughs> All 12 of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but would, do you consider drugs as therapeutic in that sense? Or? Um, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about, uh, you know, addictive nature definitely runs in my family. And, you know, I would say... After the um, after my three month um, angel dust binge, <laughs> I, I, I kept on going for about three or four more months, and then I just I gave up everything when I was about twenty years old. How do you and mean you gave up everything? You mean you gave I, up drugs? I, yeah, drugs, alcohol, all of it, because it was just. You know, maybe I think it's because of the epilepsy kept scaring the shit out of me. I didn't know what it was. And it may be a result of that, too. I mean, you take enough of this, that, and the other thing, and it can have serious consequences. So, so I stopped, you know. And I haven't done it since. But I do get curious about the ayahuasca. I'm also curious about the idea of doing flotation tanks. And... Um, Somebody recently told me about heavy sync music and experimenting with um, altered states of consciousness without drugs. Oh, right. I, I, I do that with YouTube. I'll tune into some of these channels that have these, um, oh, I don't know, these megahertz, whatever it is, this music that has this vibration to it that's supposed to be a certain 
Hertz frequencies, and mm -hmm. I'll lay back and listen to that. And I find it very relaxing, but I don't really have any kind of um, experiences from it. I've never had ayahuasca, but I was on a uh, Beyond Reality show, and they openly admit that they have it, they like it, and they think it opens up the universe to them. Yeah, I had um, Dr. Allen, Dr. Richard Allen Miller on the show, and he talked a little bit about it because um, he used to be with um, hanging out with like Timothy Leary and stuff. Oh wow, that guy died high. <laughs> yeah, he did. He he took drugs as he was dying. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that would affect the afterlife. I don't know. You know, like I know in the Buddhist tradition, you say the more peaceful you are, the better conditions you'll have in your next life. Yeah, and but what more, if you're stoned you, out of your skull? Would you be stoned out of your skull for all eternity? I don't know. I don't think it would last for eternity, but maybe for a life or two. Well, now you're talking reincarnation, but what if it's just a permanent afterlife? You know, where your consciousness floats free in the universe kind of thingy. Are you going to be bumping into stars and stuff because you're too drunk to avoid them? <laughs> you might accidentally stumble into a black hole. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't stumble out again in a hurry. <laughs> then you scramble and get me out. <laughs> that would be a one-way stumble if ever there was. <laughs> well, this is a serious scientific discussion, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, again, you wonder about things. So what's wrong with wondering about things? I mean, it's how we learn and grow, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I do the podcast. I, I think, you know, I hope people listen to the podcast and it just opens up their minds a little bit to things that maybe they didn't think about before. Well, hopefully it does, and hopefully it doesn't entice them to take drugs. And by the way, I'm not sure if it was Beyond Reality that was the show that had the ayahuasca people on it. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was, but not positive. I don't want to, you know, blackball anybody by saying something that's not true. But I think it was beyond reality. So, uh, but they, they, they said it opened up the universe to them and they learned a great deal. They were quite zen-like. Yeah. And there's also those books. Um, those books by Carlos Constaneda. Oh, yeah. Well, that's an old one. I mean, although his own life, the author, I mean, the Don Juan books, Carlos's life was, in the way he died, it was pretty strange circumstances i don't know how he died how did he die he just walked out into the desert and died it's the weirdest thing well i mean did he die of exposure or yeah just... yeah yeah one day he just got up and he walked out in the desert and died of not having water and stuff huh yeah he was really into shamanism and stuff like that wasn't he yeah yeah i think he took a lot of the um Jungle juice too, didn't he? Mm -hmm. A little of the old peyote and a little of ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must. Uh, well, maybe he was high when he did it. Maybe. Probably likely, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's more to the story. Like, apparently, like he had a girlfriend, and like he was trying to start like this little cult, and I don't know. It, it, it's a weird twist. Weird story. If you, if you look it up, it's pretty interesting. Well, you know, there's money to be made in cults. Um, I, um, I knew an author that was intimately involved with, um, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy who founded Scientology. Um, 
my mind's blanking here. Um, uh, Scientology guy. Yeah. Power of positive thinking. No, that wasn't him. That was a minister. Don't confuse the two. They had nothing I to do. I really think they're all the same. Yeah, I would too. Uh, I'm trying to think. He was a sci-fi writer, and he was talking to this other rather famous uh, who won a Pulitzer. Oh, L. Ron Hubbard. That was his yep. name. <laughs> Excuse me. It just came to me. <clears throat> but, um, uh, yeah, L. Ron Hubbard. But he was a sci-fi writer. He did Battlefield Earth. And uh, he was talking with this other um, author who shall remain nameless, but was quite famous. And uh, he um, asked him, you know, he, I, I want to develop this religion kind of thing, this mythology or whatever, and I, could you we work on this together? And they did for quite a while. And then uh, the other author began to suspect where it was really going. So he backed out of it and uh, just... Um, it wanted nothing more to do with it, but Elron Hubbard went on with it, and he founded Scientology based on that, on this mythos that he and this other author had created, according to this other author, who, again, is, was so famous in his day, uh, won all sorts of awards and stuff, that um, it, it's pretty hard not to believe that what he was telling me was the truth. Scientology scares me. Why? Because you take people's money. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't scare me in the normal sense. I had a cousin who was uh, in Scientology. I, I just think um, it's a ripoff, frankly, personal opinion only. So if there's any Scientologists out there, please forgive me. I don't mean to offend you. By the way, you are going to cut and edit this, aren't you? <laughs> Actually, I don't. This, this comes out like a live edition. <laughs> I, I, I put an intro and an outro on it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, good. There goes my reputation down the tubes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I well, he's the one who told me about it. He, my cousin Paul, he said that it's it's a ripoff that they charge you and of course did you ever see that episode of south park where they gave you what they really believed in and they actually flashed it on the screen for the whole episode yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's pretty uh, incredible stuff you know it being, is yeah spirits being tossed into volcanoes that yep. didn't exist you know that sort of thing <laughs> but um i had a hard time i well i never fell for it i mean never was that interested where i want to be a member of and i heard that it was all about money I did go to an EST meeting once. What was that like? It was just like they said. Uh, you know, remember the movie with um, the football movie, with 49ers or something like that? But uh, it starred, uh, oh, the guy that was so big, the actor in the uh, 70s. Um, he did Cannonball Run and all those movies. Burt Reynolds? Yes, Burt Reynolds. He, was, he starred in it. And they did a takeoff of EST where they um, – had to go to this like weekend meeting and they weren't allowed to ever leave it. So they, um, they strapped bottles to their uh, inside thighs under their clothes and used a catheter so that if they had to go to the bathroom, they could, but this was asked once, once you got in there, you couldn't get out. Um, I went with my uh, father and because our neighbors had pushed and pushed and pushed it. So finally we went and my father got up and he says, I'm leaving. And, I said, they're not going to let you out. They got guards at the door. And he says, I'll get out. And he walked out. And, he, and I waited and waited. He didn't come back. And they're droning on about this best. And finally thought, I have got to get out of here. You'll leave without me. So I got up and I went to the exit. And they said, where are you going? 
And I said, I have to use the bathroom really bad. They said, okay, it's right there across the lobby. It was the convention center. So I walked into the bathroom and opened the door and waited till the guards had their backs turned. And I ran from the front door and ran out. And there was my father outside smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I asked him how he got out. He says, I just told him I had to have a cigarette. <laughs> but see, I didn't smoke. But, you know, so, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of cults out there, and you have to be very careful that you don't sip the Kool-Aid. No. No, definitely I, I mean, I, I'm all for keeping an open mind, but I, buying into one theology, putting all my cards into it, no way. No, I don't really want to put all my eggs in one basket. And since they're all sort of equal eggs right now, we don't know who's got the truth or a monopoly on it or not. I tend to go to those um, isms, as I call them, which I find the most attractive, I like the idea of reincarnation. I like that ultimate sense of justice that it provides that Christianity doesn't seem to really provide for me. I don't really believe in hell. I don't really believe in heaven. But reincarnation appeals to me because it gives me a sense of justice that karma will come back to you. And I like that idea. I like uh, Buddhism. I find it a very tranquil uh, religion. The fact that it forbids women to be in it uh, you know, as uh, in the priesthood uh, mm -hmm. or to enter the monasteries, that bothers me. So I'm not a Buddhist, but it, there's much about it that attracts me. Uh, I was raised Catholic. There are some things about the Catholic Church that I really liked. Uh, not confession. God, I hated confession. <laughs> <laughs> and those I always, nuns? I always nuns lied in confession. Me too. Oh, were you Catholic? Raised Catholic? Yes. Yeah, I used to lie in confession too. I used to make it generic, you know, like pick one from column A and one from column B. I no. wasn't one of these people who told the priest in detail what I did. No, no, I just said I, I lied to my parents. Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't even say like to my that. parents. I would just say I lied maybe 15 times in the last week. And, you know, I was vain any number of times in the last week, you know. and But I kept it really generic. I, I didn't want to get too involved in it. But you know, the Catholic Church is the only institution to survive the fall of the Roman Empire. And that's saying something. Yeah. It does have survivability and persistence going for it. So. I think it's adaptable. Like if there is one Christian religion that I think is, you know, that I identify still the most with, it is Catholicism. In fact, one of my best friends is a, is a retired Catholic priest. Some of my best friends are Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he's actually a Catholic priest. <laughs> but A Catholic priest is, is... I have met several Catholic priests and attended even uh, one... What do they call it when they become a priest? I can't think of the word for the ceremony, but uh, uh, I attended his, and he, his face was so lit up and so full of joy. Of course, he was very young at the time, too, like 23 or 24, and I thought, live another 10 or 20 years and get back to me. <laughs> that joy will be stamped out of your face, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, I have a hard time with most ministers, priests, whatever, because so many of them are younger than I am. Right. And, and they seem to be getting younger with each passing year. <laughs> But to have a 35-year-old stand up and tell me I'm going to go to hell and burn in hell, I, I just 
you know, it's like, get back to me in another 20 years, then maybe we can talk, you know, when you're closer to my level, you know. Yeah, even like now with like the whole, um, was it Jerry Farwell? Oh, yeah. But that happens Junior all thing. the time. You know, yeah, it's like, and didn't his father do like the same thing? <laughs> well, Jimmy Swagger did, and uh, the Bakers, was it the Bakers? Yeah, Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, it's like they all have done the same stupid thing. Yeah, my sister ordered one of Tammy Faye Baker's makeup kits. It came with a trowel for application. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is, spackle? Uh, yeah, I just spackled it up <laughs> with a sh- with a shovel. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, they were uh, uh, quite the pair. Those two, you know, ripoffs. Jimmy Swagger. You know, I'll have sinned. Uh, you you lose faith. I don't place any faith that I might have in any one human being because they're fallible. Yeah, and uh, I just you know, I, you if you put them on a pedestal and they fall off, don't be surprised. It's not their fault. You placed them on that pedestal in the first place. You are your own worst enemy. Yeah. That, and, and I also like, if anybody says that they have all the answers, they're lying. Oh, I have all the answers. You do? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm lying. <laughs> I don't even have all the questions. That's my problem. That's, you know, that's, that's a big part of it, you know, is having the right questions. And having a degree in science and, and pushing in that direction, uh, the more I learn, the more I realize, it, I know this is an old tired cliche, but the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Me too. And it, what bums me out is I'm going to die someday, hopefully many, many, many moons from now, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I don't want to die not knowing. And yet my brother did, you know, he was very involved in, in, in UFOs. I mean, you know, had a, missing time and all that. And uh, I asked him one time, Mike, if you're dying, uh, would you want to know the answers on your deathbed? And he said, it depends, Bobby. And I said, on what? And he said, on what the answer is. And that gave me pause for thought. Do we really want to know the answers or are we better off living in ignorance? That's, That's a good question. I mean, if you found out you were living in a simulation, what value would you place on life, existence, and reality? When you pet your puppy and realize it's just an app. and um, they, don't, they don't go back to being a pirate. Yeah. Um, no, because the simulation isn't programmed by you. you gotta, you're an NPC, you know, a non-playing mm-hmm. character. You're just there to fill out the, the scenery. So you don't have any choice in the matter. You're just an app, a program. Well, hopefully I'm an evolving program. Uh, From what I've heard tonight, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) A de-evolving program. A devolving program. Yeah. You're coming apart at the, uh, you know, the seams there. (laughs) Your binary code is corrupted. But but no, I mean, uh, would it affect reality? Would, would, would it affect your life if you find out actually for fact that you're living in a simulation? I don't think it would. I think did you ever I could accept that. You could. Mm-hmm. That when you kiss your wife, that she's really just a program, running program, and you're just a running program, and you're really nothing but binary code? Yeah. Because it actually kind of makes sense. 
but wouldn't it wash all of raison d'etre from existence, your reason for being? I don't know if I have a reason for being to begin with. Yeah, well, I can sympathize with you on that one. Again, you know, after the show I, tonight. I, I, I mean, it's just like weird. Like one day I appeared on Earth. <laughs> yes, but isn't it nice to think that you're unique and there's only one of you in the entire universe, or at least this universe, not counting all those other parallel realities? I'm going to have to say the probability of that's probably low. And we're going to <laughs> well, I mean, what, that you're the only unique person in this universe? Yeah. Why do you think that's a low probability? <clears throat> because I think everything that exists, every probability has to exist. Okay, you want to clarify that just a tad there? Um, if it's probable, it exists in somewhere, some form, some way. So the chances well, of the me being here in a slightly different me somewhere else, I think that's more probable than there just being one me. Actually, yeah, in, in, in my new book that's coming out, I say exactly that, that it, it is almost absolutely true. So if this version of me vanishes, and yet there's like a million other versions of me out there, it's no big deal. Out there in other universes and other yeah. realities, not this one. In this reality, you are unique. Right. This reality. And I'm sure there's lots of people that are thanking God right now for that fact. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and if 2020 keeps going the way it's going, this reality is coming to an end anyway. I was going to say the simulation is about to, about to terminate. Yeah, I think so too. Somebody's getting ready to hit the reset. <laughs> Gosh, I think they've hit it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. How about you? What do you think? I think that... We're in this reality, whether we like it or not, whether it's a simulation or whether there are parallel worlds. I kind of take comfort in parallel worlds. My father died in this one in 2013, but he, according to the laws of probability, he has to exist in quite a number of other universes, perhaps an infinite number. Right. Uh, and uh, that makes me feel better. Of course, it's not my stepfather or father. It's somebody... It's another me stepfather or father. But even so, it's nice to think that, you know, with the idea of quantum immortality, that maybe for him, the universe just went on, that he never died. That when he took his last breath here, for him, it was just another breath, and he went on living. Whereas I see him as dead and gone. He never saw that because, according to quantum mortality, he switched over to a parallel universe because quantum Physics says that whenever there's a choice to be made, the universe splits. And you make one choice in this universe, and there's a universe where you didn't make that choice. So in this universe, if you die, immediately it splits, and there's a universe where you didn't die. And since the only you that then exists is the you in that universe, you have continuity. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you understand that? Yeah, and I completely agree with that. So for him, he didn't die. For me, he did. But for him, he did not. He's yeah. in a parallel universe, living his life, going on about his business. Same with your mother, my mother. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of comforting. I, I agree. I, in that same way, that's sort of how I deal with like the loss of you know, my family. Have you, that, lost that a, have you lost a lot of family? I don't have much family left except two older brothers. 
is of nephews How old and are nieces, you? but I'm 52 or 53, I think. Well, that's rather young to be losing your family at that rate. Well, were you poisoning them? <laughs> no. Well, my, my parents were old when they had me. Oh. So like, I think my mom was, I'm not old, but I, th I think she was like 36 or 37 when she had Yeah, me. that's up there, you know. That's up there you know, for having a kid. You know, and, and not, I, not so much these days, but back then, yeah, it would have been. And even my, my two brothers are both, one's 10 years older, the other one's 12 years older than me. So you're like the afterthought, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broken condom, actually. Mm. Bummer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that condom was broken. <laughs> Your parents might not have been. <laughs> I think my dad was. My dad was a little upset about it because <laughs> it made like another twenty years of work for him. <laughs> another brat to feed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Uh, when my parents died, you know, you realize you're an orphan, and that's kind of a shock. And I know it sounds silly, because I mean, you're an adult and have been an adult for a long time. But even so, whereas you were standing in line on the edge of the grave, behind someone else, suddenly you're up to the edge now. You're the next one ready to topple into that hole, mm -hmm. and it's not a comforting thought. <laughs> You know, I mean, you, it's, uh, you, you've come face to face with your mortality. But I'm not afraid of it anymore after that seizure. Well, you know, that's, that's I the am. Thing. It, 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 it wiped out the fear. Well, I'm not afraid of, of, of death. I'm afraid of the process of dying is what I'm afraid of. Oh, you're afraid of like it hurting physically? Yeah, I don't want to. Uh, I mean, do you, think, do you think death is actually going to feel any worse than slamming the refrigerator door on your thumb? wasn't the refrigerator door. It was the dishwasher. It hurt the a dishwasher lot. Dishwasher door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was trying to think, of, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I went to shut it. My thumb was still on the inside of the door when I slammed it shut. I know. I, I, know. I didn't realize you were that short. Uh, I was that clumsy. My mind was on <laughs> other things at the time, okay? Hey, I'm having great thoughts about quantum immortality, so excuse me. <laughs> but, you know, that's the first time I've done that to a finger in decades. And I don't like looking at my thumb now. It's ugly. It's purple. Right. But, but, but I'm just saying, like, death is probably not even as painful as what you did to your thumb. Like, well, was, it could like, be like, worse. I, I've, I've been with, I was with my mom when she died, and it was pretty peaceful. Uh, I've been with, I was with my uncle when he died. It was okay. You know, it wasn't as bad as hitting your thumb. And same with my dad. Even though he, he fought it. I would say probably hitting your thumb is worse than going through the act of death. So um, what are we talking about here? The top 10 best deaths I've known? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying like there's no fear of it. You shouldn't be afraid of the act of dying. Well, what if someone shoots me or something and I don't die right away? So then it takes a couple minutes. Or I 15, mean, 20 or an hour or two. Yeah. I, I, I mean, have you ever had, have you ever been married and had to sit through like a lifetime movie? Oh God, that is like a living death. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hell, marriage is kind of like that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know the old saying, women can't live with them. End of sentence. <laughs>
I'm kidding, actually. I mean, you find a lot of comfort in women. I was happily married for 35 years, and her passing was very quiet. Uh, the poison worked wonders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm married down. I think it's my wife's going to be the one poisoning me. Yeah, probably. I hope she's not listening in on this. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, uh, marriage is a lot of give and take in marriage. Um, I think I'd rather be abducted by aliens, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a growing process. You either grow together or you grow apart. That's true. It is tricky to navigate. Ten years. Oh, get back to me when you've been married another 20 or 30. You know, mm. And then if you're still talking to each other or sleeping in the same room. Well, wait, you know, 20 or 30 years, I'll be, I would have to live to be into my 80s, which is probably not probable. Uh, 82 is about average lifespan now in the United I States. I thought it was 72. Uh, no, I think it was 82. Uh, I think, I, I, maybe I was thinking of the UK. Uh, I, th I think here it's in like 72. You think, think so? I, th I think so, because I think the plan for you to live seven years with Social Security. 78.54 years. I just looked it up. <laughs> so it was a few years off. I, you were way off. I was a lot closer. <laughs> <laughs> you were off almost seven years. I was off four. <laughs> Not even four. Three and a half. So <laughs> I win. Yep, you won that one. <laughs> yeah, I won that one. <laughs> no, the lifespan's been going up even during your lifetime. So lucky you. <laughs> all, all those extra uh, years of marriage you get to look forward to. Well, I'll make it ent entertaining. Yeah. Going back on drugs, are we? <laughs> no, no. no I've got to stay off the dust. <laughs> You're high on life, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but, I, I, I know death itself is, is, is uh, you know, what was it um, in uh, uh, Peter Pan, when Peter Pan said, uh, you know, Captain Oak said, I'm going to kill you, you're going to die. And Peter Pan said, that would be a great adventure. And that's how I look at it. I think it'll be a great adventure. And if it isn't, well, I won't know, will I? Nope. So, so, so you win either way. But, you know, there is some evidence that we don't actually, our consciousness doesn't necessarily die along with our body. It probably doesn't. No, there is, I mean, actual, some scientific evidence to suppose it might not. Yeah. Um, like I, when I did the um, interview on reincarnation, um, a guy I was interviewing was bringing up all these scientific studies that prove that reincarnation is a real thing. Well... <clears throat> Actually, in my book that I'm writing as well, uh, I do talk about reincarnation, and there does seem to be some clinical evidence to strongly suggest reincarnation might exist, which goes in line with the idea of the consciousness surviving the human body. Uh, you know, one scientist said it, it never ceases to amaze them that a person is alive and breathing and full of energy one second, and the next second they've just stopped, and their consciousness has disappeared. Well, according to the laws of physics, it shouldn't be able to do that. You, you can change energy, uh, but according to the conservation of mass and energy, you can change it, but you can't destroy it. So where did the energy go? And some people say, well, it's like turning off a computer, and it's like, no. When you turn off a computer, you're shutting off the energy supply to the computer. That's an entirely different thing. Right, the energy's still flowing. 
Right. And so with a human being, it's like, what, what's the difference between the state of death and the state of consciousness? How does that work? And of course, they have found those microtubules in the human brain and of animals as well. And they seem to function on the quantum level. And after people die, there is residual electrical activity in the brain. And it, well, several physicists uh, think that it might be that it drains out through those microtubules on the quantum level, and that your consciousness may continue in the universe. Hence, you might have ghosts. Yes. That's one of the funny things, too, is one when my mom passed away first, my dad was still alive. Um, I had to move in and take care of my dad. And my dad would say, like, he was a pretty mean guy sometimes. <laughs> And he would say something really bad. And every time he did that, like a picture would fly off the, the uh, mantle or something like something weird would always happen when he did that. You know, it was like my mom, like yelling at him still for, for misbehaving. You sure it wasn't the vibration of, of his loud voice causing it to fall off the wall? Yeah, I'm positive. Did Absolutely. your mother die while you were still a child? No, no. She, told me, was, she died about five years ago, six years ago. Oh, I see. And you say your father? My father passed away about two years later. And, and actually, when he passed away, like I had to um, get rid of the house and stuff. So I had to go through, like, my dad was like a hoarder. So I had to get rid of all his crap. And then one day I got, it was like he, I had emptied out the basement and threw all his stuff away. And I had some things left in there. And um, one day I went down to the basement the next day. And his stuff was just like thrown all over the floor. It was like he was pissed off for me throwing away all his junk. Or maybe a high pile of stuff just fell over that uh, was balancing precariously. I don't think so. The stuff was there. So you think your father was haunting you? Yeah, I think I pissed him off. I would hate to have to go through my parents' things. There's stuff in there that you might not want to find. Oh, yeah, yeah. I found a nude picture of my dad. Did you really? Yeah, it was horrific. Yeah, I was going to say, that'll, if you were a kid, that would have scarred you for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's not good to delve too deeply into the human psyche. By the way, women only live to be about 82 years old. 82? 82. So they live longer than us. 81.1 years, actually. Well, yeah, but not by much. We live to be 78.54 years. So what do they like? So they round us off to 79 because it's over 0.5. So they're going to 80. So they live 2.1 years longer than we do. Big whoops. Yeah. You know, I mean, what are you going to do with 2.1 years? You can do a lot. Or nothing at all, especially if you're 82 well, years old. Well, like, like you could probably crank out 15 more books. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. I probably could. <laughs> Actually, I did know an 82-year-old author, and he was quite prolific. His books were garbage, but he was quite prolific. <laughs> I used to edit them. Did you? Yeah, he, uh, he wrote like it was the uh, golden age of science fiction, and, and it was very, um, very much that period in style. And I had a hard time kind of dragging him into the um, 21st century. He... Uh, he had an awfully hard time. He, his books were all telling instead of showing. And, of course, telling doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be told a story. We want to be shown the story. We want to live the story. 
not just be a third right. party to it. So I think when I, when, I, when I do write do story writing, I always try to just write dialogue in action and not much what could, narrative. What could, yeah, that's which is what you should have. Yeah, your narrative is, is a necessary infrastructure framework, but the stories themselves should be a showing. You don't tell someone how someone looked. You just you show them how they looked. Yes. You know, you don't say he he had a deep voice. You say he said it, you know, with a gruff voice or something exactly. like that. You 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 let them build the picture for themselves, you mm -hmm. know. But uh and you know JK Rowling, she uh, intentionally left stuff quite vague quite often. She never actually described um Hogwarts Academy in detail. Mm -hmm. She just referred to it as a lot of towers and high bridges and that sort of thing, but she never really got into any detail on it. So she left it to your imagination as to how Hogwarts looked. Yeah, that way the reader can create their own world. Mm -hmm. Have you ever read a book where you identify with the hero, then you find out it's a person that you absolutely can't stand? Kind of person, you know, like a ginger? <laughs> mm. Are you a ginger? No. <laughs> That's never happened to me, no. No? I, no. Yeah, it's happened to me because I, I, I always identify with my heroes as sort of looking like Flash Gordon or, uh, you know, it's a male hero. Um, but, uh, or, uh, I don't know, maybe Superman. And then you get this fat, dumpy character and you think, oh, that isn't the way I pictured him at all, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of turns me off the book. Really? Yeah, I, uh, See, because it, it, I'm like the opposite. Like my hero, like hero type of books would be like Charles Bukowski. Who is that? You never read Charles Bukowski? No, I didn't. The Post Office? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you talking about um, like the from the Discworld series or? No. No, he only wrote a couple. He was a poet mainly, but he wrote a book called Post Office. And what was it about? About working at the post office. Oh, that's probably why I didn't read it. My father worked at the post office. <laughs> but, but, it was, but it's such a great book. It's, like, he, it's just like this, he has this terrible life of going to work every day. And, and you know, he, he has a bad marriage and all he does is drink all the time. And then like one day he just quits the post office and leaves his wife and goes somewhere to write poetry. It, it's, it's, it's great stuff. Oh yeah. It sounds wonderful. I, I must pick up a copy of it sometime soon. I would say that is probably my favorite book, that one and um, breakfast of champions. You read a book about Wheaties? I <laughs> did. <laughs> I read it. Kerfonicate. <laughs> oh, oh no! I I shouldn't say that. Well, I'm going to. Kurt Vonnegut Jr. is the person that told me about uh, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. 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 I, I'm a huge fan of Vonnegut. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yep, and I, and I and I think he has writing correct. You know the way he he did it with dialogue and action and not much narrative. He's dead now, isn't he? I oh yeah, he's been dead for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I, uh, the, all, I I learned all this back in the eighties. You know, so <clears throat> but uh, uh, he was a friend of a friend of mine, and so I got to talking to him via mail, uh, letters, not men. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we only had a few letters, but yeah, he told me all about that, Elron Hubbard. So, uh, and I think he was telling the truth. I'm sorry, but I really do. Mm. So my opinion of L. Ron Hubbard is not very high. By the way, his book, Battlefield Earth, stunk. I never read the book. I saw the movie with John Travolta. It was very close to the book. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad, yeah. Didn't do well at the box office. But the book was longer. And actually, the book was better than the movie, but not by much. Not really. I mean, he had bankers, and these bankers were aliens. They were the bankers of the galaxy, and they had shark heads. They looked just like shark. I mean, come on. <laughs> so Silliness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Silly season went really high that year. But uh, no, I don't, uh, I, I don't um, think much of, of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, for that reason. And it's based large, uh, largely on Kurt Vonnegut. And I always say junior because at the time he was a junior. Uh-huh. So, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he, now he was an intelligent man and he had one of his books turned into a movie too. I'm trying to think of the title of it. Um, oh, what was it? It's about where the guy goes into the future on another planet and then he gets flashbacks of his life. With yeah, his yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'm trying to remember the name of it too. Isn't that annoying? <laughs> you know it's you're a, getting old when. No, no, it's not that. It's the Mandela thing happening. Uh, how do you figure? I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Yeah, I, I kind of thought you might have. Slaughterhouse Five. <laughs> it was Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. He was, uh, and then, you know, I, uh, well, he wrote Breakfast of Champions, too. That's, that's what I said. Breakfast of Champions is my favorite book. Yeah. I think the character in it's uh, like Walter Trout. I n- I never read Breakfast of Champions. It's it's phenomenal book. Is it? Yeah, it, that book changed my life. Obviously not for the better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> my point, ex- my point it, exactly. <laughs> if it wasn't for that book, you wouldn't be talking to me now. If it wasn't for that book, I would be in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, um, I've never, I- I've driven through Alabama, but I've never actually explored the state. I'm sure it's quite a nice state. It's rather flat, though, isn't it? No, there's mountains up near um, Tennessee. I live in the Gulf. So, like, I'm right so, by the, the beach. So you're right by Mobile? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm like 15 minutes from Mobile. Okay, because I used to travel on Highway 10 all the way through, back and forth through there all the time. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, see, I grew up in other places, and my view of the South as a kid was highly colorized by, um, oh, Macon County line, um, Easy Rider, that sort of thing. So I was afraid of the South, afraid of it. I mean, when you're from Southern California, you the South at that time in the 60s and 70s, you know, our, our media hype, I don't know what you want to call it, but our view of the South was that it was a dangerous place to be. You know, it's like you have men in with sheriff's hats on and sunglasses saying what we have here is a failure to communicate, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of our image. And then I had friends who drove to the South and got caught in speed traps in um, Georgia. 
and had nothing nice to say about it. So I always used to just dash through those states when I was on uh, Interstate 10. I just mm. wanted to get from California to Florida and back without st- – I didn't even want to pull off the freeway for gas. In <laughs> I'm serious. I really did not. And uh, the thought of even exploring the state didn't thrill me at all. Interesting. See, I was actually disappointed. But I, I thought it was going to be completely lawless here. And it's not. It's kind <laughs> of civilized. You, what made you think it was going to be lawless? Because it was the South. Well, I never thought of the South as lawless. I thought of it as maybe having biased or prejudiced uh, law enforcers, but I never thought of it as lawless. Yeah, I always thought, you know, you know, just people walking around with guns, living out in the woods, stuff like that. Well, you do have that. In parts of it. We have well, it here in North Carolina, too. Well, but even those people, you know, even though they're, they're like that, you know, they never use their guns. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, good. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I challenged somebody here to a duo, and he said, no, I can't do it. It's illegal. You actually challenged someone to a duel? Sure. For reals, as my sister used to say? Yeah. Why would you challenge somebody to a duel? Oh, I don't know. It's, what, bored? We're, we're, we're having, having a bad Saturday? We were having a conversation. <laughs> he, oh, he was calling me Yankee and, and picking on me for being a Yankee. That's what it was. Oh, so you were just kidding, really. You were really and, 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 and I was like, all right, all right, you know, let, 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 let's, let's have a duel. We'll settle this. You weren't serious, and, though, really serious. I would have done it. Oh, come on. You'd shoot someone because he called you a Yankee? Yeah, you can't let people walk all over you. No, you just let them shoot you to death. No, he would have been as two years older than me. So you have a gun, too? Oh, yeah. So you just fit right in in, South, in Alabama, don't you? Oh, I don't know if I fit right in, but <laughs> I, I, I do know that, that, that um, their bark is louder than their bite. Well, I think that's true of everywhere. Uh, you know, did you know that only about 7% of American men still hunt? No, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. When I grew up, my father hunted. He took me hunting. My uncles hunted. It was very common in Massachusetts for people to do that. And, um, and by the way, I can badmouth the South because I was born in the South. I was born in Texas. <laughs> you ever been to Texas? I have not been to Texas. Uh, not missing much. <laughs> I, would like, always, I would like to go to Austin. Austin's wonderful. And Dallas and uh, Fort Worth, and that's where I was born, uh, right outside Dallas and Fort Worth, a little suburb called uh, Bridgeport. Um, they're beautiful cities, and so is Houston. Uh, but Texas takes forever to cross. It's 941 miles from side to side on Interstate 10. It's a big state. Oh, it's forever to get across. And a lot of it's pretty ugly. I mean, once you get away from the green on the east side of it, uh-huh. it's, all, it's all just rocks and dirt, and like sand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> there's no redeeming social value there. <laughs> and I was born there, so I can say it. But, I mean, if you're a Texan, you love Texas, but... Uh, I I don't like Texas that much. I think it's a nice state. I'm glad a lot of people love it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite state? Well, I can tell you it's not Nebraska, and it's not Kansas. 
it's, I don't like square states. Uh, <laughs> have you ever been to Kansas? No. Or Nebraska? Neither. I haven't been through like the mid part of the country much. I've been up and down the coast from like New Hampshire all the way down to right. Florida. And then sort of across the middle, like, you know, through Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Kentucky. Beautiful states. Yeah, Tennessee's beautiful. North Carolina is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Uh, even parts of Missouri are quite nice on the eastern side. Uh, but as you go west, it gets very, very, very flat. I mean, like, terminally flat. Kansas. I, you can, I understand why Dorothy and Toto left. There was no reason to stay. <laughs> You drive 20 miles and you stop and look at the freeway ahead of you and it's flat all the way to the horizon. You think, okay, well, when I get to the horizon, maybe I'll see something different. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Nebraska, same way. Uh, someone once told me um, that they were uh, helping out the uh, tourist bureau for the state of Nebraska. I said, why in the heck do they have a tourist bureau? Who in their right minds would go to Nebraska? Name me one thing that you've heard about that's famous in Nebraska. Corn. Well, corn isn't famous. Corn is just a plant. I heard they had the best corn. Well, they have good corn in Pennsylvania and they have good corn in Iowa. I wonder if they have corn in Canada. I never said anything about flat. They actually have good corn in Alabama, too. Yeah, but corn isn't famous. It's just a vegetable. Oh, I don't know. That's all I know about Nebraska is just the corn husker state. Right. I, I know. And I mean, I can name you two cities, Lincoln and Omaha. Yeah. And that's it. But I mean, there's no Grand Canyon. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's no, um, well, there's nothing. <laughs> just nothing there. <laughs> I mean, name something. Name some famous tourist attraction. Can't. Because there isn't any. There's not one thing in that state. You know, I'm alienating the entire country. No one's going to buy my books. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think somebody's going to see go two and a half hours into this episode? <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping, they, I'm hoping they give up long before this point. <laughs> But I mean, I think America is a beautiful country and there's only two states I haven't visited and that's North Dakota and Alaska. And I'd love to see Alaska. Uh -huh. North Dakota, eh, not so much. South Dakota, I liked. The Badlands, mm -hmm. Mount Rushmore. So you can name things about South Dakota. Yeah. You know? How about Montana? What about Montana? Have you ever been there? Oh, yeah, I have. I, my, one of my cats just knocked over a fan. I heard this big crash. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been to Big Sky Country. Yeah, I've been to Billings, Montana, and uh, some other town there, too. It's, it's, it's a lot of big empty. A lot of sky. See why they call it Big Sky Country? UFOs. That's where uh, dental floss comes from. Big Sky? Montana. Oh. <laughs> How, what do you mean dental floss comes from Montana? They make it there? Yeah. They invented it there? I guess so. Must be all that barbecue. They have all these <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a Frank Zappa song. <laughs> but even Montana has some things we're seeing. They've got like a big 90-foot statue of Mary up above Billings, Montana, in the, in the mountains there, the hills, overlooking the city. Um, they had a really great saloon with sawdust on the floor and the whole bit in Billings. I liked Billings. Hmm. I like Wyoming. 
I loved Yellowstone, you know, and uh, Jackson Hole. Isn't that in Wyoming? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I've never been to Wyoming either. <laughs> well, where have you been? Just on the East Coast? Yeah, mostly. I've been to like, you know, New, obviously New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. I love Pennsylvania. Connecticut. Rhode I love Connecticut. Island. Yeah, Rhode Island. Um, Did you go to the mansions? Newport Beach? No. You didn't tour the, the mansions, the so-called cottages? No. Oh, wow, man, you're missing a lot. And uh, see what else? You know, all the way down, you know, um, Maryland, Delaware, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, I think Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, Kentucky's pretty. Tennessee's pretty. West Virginia. Virginia. West Virginia's actually quite pretty. It's pretty, but I found that it was actually also one of the scarier places I've been. Scarier how? Um, you mean like dueling banjos scary? Yeah, like Confederate flags and Yeah, stuff like that. yeah, it was very much you know? like that, yeah. Um, yeah, I was afraid I'd be butchered in Butcher Holler, you know, so. But uh, <clears throat> isn't that where, um, isn't that where uh, Loretta Lynn came from? Was it West Virginia? I don't Butcher know. Ho Butcher Holler? I, I do know that's where, isn't, wasn't the movie Deliverance supposed to be West Virginia? No, I believe that was Georgia. Hmm. I think. <laughs> I always thought it was West Virginia. No, I don't think so, because it's not a river. Oh, come on. Don't throw it. Not another the, Mandela. I, I, just, I just looked it up. It is Georgia. The Canusians were filmed in the Tahula Gorge, southeast of Clayton, and on the Chatta. Uga. See, I've never found Georgia that bad. No, I, I like Georgia. It's another nice state. You know, Mississippi I didn't like, but mostly I don't like them like Alabama, well, Mississippi, because well, they're flat and wet. Well, Mississippi's also dirty. Is it? Yeah. I, I just, you know, whenever I, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, they're all these flat, flat states, and they're all on the Mississippi Delta, and it's, it seems to be like nothing but swamps everywhere you go. In the southern parts. I don't know about the northern parts. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's the only parts I've been to through, because, you know, when we drive down to like New Orleans or something, we got to go through Mississippi. What about Arkansas? You ever been to Arkansas? No, I haven't been there. I have a friend that lives there. Hmm. By the way, in the movie, I'm not sure where it was supposed to be, but it was filmed in Rayburn County, northeastern Georgia. Deliverance? Yeah. Yep. Tallulah Gorge, southeast of Clayton, and on the Chattauga. You know, I've always heard of Chattanooga, but I've never heard of Chattauga. Chattauga River must be uh, an, a Native American name, huh? So, Close Encounters was filmed here in Fairhope. Close Encounters was filmed in Alabama? It was. The Close Encounters house is here. You know, the one where the kid opens the door and the light shines in? Oh, right that, right. that house is here. And also the house um, where Richard Dreyfus is, you know, throwing all the shit in the window to build the tower. That house is also here. I did not know that. I, you know, the movie takes place in what, Indiana? Supposedly. Yeah. yeah. Yep, you just so can't trust Hollywood, can you? Have you ever been to Hollywood, California? I've never been to California. 
I'm actually no, no. I might go in June if I can get enough money to go. Why? Uh, for contact. Contact in the desert. Contact in the desert. Yeah, it's like a, a UFO convention. Oh. Yeah, well, that's where my brother saw the UFO was in the desert in California. But yeah, they, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was I was there last year in September. I had a I was an on camera expert for a new show they were doing for the Travel Channel, Cargo Seven Studios in downtown LA. It was it was interesting. First time I've ever been uh, in you know film like that. I was the on camera expert. Does that <laughs> not send chills down your spine? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really was amazing. Well, you know, yes, and I also uh, spoke at the Library of Congress by invitation. Wow. Yeah, top that. I can't. <laughs> Peasant. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little spooky. I was at the Mary Pickford Theater, and there was like a thousand people there, and I gave the presentation on UFOs. And I thought, well, I'll open with a little joke because, you know, the docent of the uh, of the library said, you know, and the library is actually three big buildings, you know, and it's, I mean, it's huge. And uh, so here I'm in this theater and uh, it looked like a movie theater. It was about the same size. And I was up on the stage with my little clicker for the slideshow. And she goes, tell us a little about yourself, Rob. So I did. And at the end of it, I wanted to transition into my show. But I thought I'd end it with a little joke. So I go, well, that's enough about me. What do you think of me? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. They didn't. <laughs> not, a, <laughs> not a laugh, not a glimmer. So I just go, oh, well, moving on. I go, tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so then I gave the presentation. But really... You know, it was all these academic types, and it was on the hollow moon theory. And uh, it was a tough audience. There was no doubt about it. So. <laughs> but I got to see a Stradivarius violin, three of them to be. I got a, a tour of all the back places in the uh, library, and congressmen meet at the library, and they had their own special meeting rooms, and the public's not allowed in. But I was because, you know, I had... I had influence. <laughs> were, were you allowed to read the Book of Secrets? No, nah, that 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 no, that was down in the basement. I didn't get to go. There. <laughs> so, but yeah, I got to see uh, three Stradivarius in a case. I thought they're worth about two hundred seventy-five thousand apiece or so, and they got three of them in this glass case in this congressman's meeting room. You know where they they meet. And I thought for their eyes only. How unfair. The public paid, you know, like the better part of a million dollars for those. Why aren't they displayed for the public? Mm -hmm. But it was kind of cool seeing them. And a lot of statues and a lot of famous paintings. You know, by really famous uh, sculptures like Remington, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, so, I mean, I was impressed, no doubt about it. So, yeah, it was a fun experience. Uh, you get to go to these things. Have you done any of that? No, I haven't. When did you write your book? Um, I guess it was about six years ago. Hmm. Did you but, I, go but, to but I wrote it and I didn't really do much to promote it. After I wrote it, I kind of decided I didn't really like it. Why? Because it's missing something. 
Well, probably Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, just missing something. Hmm. Well, write another one. Have you ever been to a Buddhist monastery? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to a bunch of... Oh, yeah, I go to them all the time every other day. I have. <laughs> oh, no, but like, like I used to go to them. Like, there's, one, there's one in upstate New York um, called Zen Mountain. Uh, there's another one. Uh, was um, a Shambhala monastery. Um, and actually, like, even in New Jersey, there's um, little groups of, like, Buddhists that kind of live in, like, many monasteries almost, like little houses where a bunch of Buddhists will live. Did you say Shambhala? Yeah. Well, isn't that like the sacred tree or something? Well, it's it's like Sh a city. Sacred star or something? I mean, it's... Uh... It's, it's like... Um, it was originally a city, but it's also a weird tradition of Buddhism in the United States started by this guy, Shakyam Rinpoche. There is a name. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so he had a group called Shambhala here in the United States. And he had like, you know, meditation retreat, stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, well, so did you ever see the movie The Fountain? No. Started you, Jackman. Oh, the Wolverine. Not the Wolverine, the Fountain. Hugh Jackman, wasn't he the Wolverine? Yeah, yeah, he was the Wolverine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he was. <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about here. He was other things as well, you know. Damn, I'm trying to, was it a trippy movie? The Fountain was kind of a trippy movie. If you're high, it really would have hit you pretty hard. I do think I saw. I saw it. Yeah. Well, it, I don't it, remember what it was about, but I know I saw it. Well, it was about a guy that basically travels through time. He's on a quest for immortality, and uh, he loves this woman. She, Rachel Weisz stars in the part, and he was like a 16th century conquistador. Yeah. And, and he's searching for the Fountain of uh, Youth, and then he ends up in uh, as a 26th century astronaut. He goes into space and. He approaches this like fantastic light in the cosmos, and there's this bubble. Inside the bubble is Shambhala. It's this like sacred tree, and he ends up in the lotus position, sitting under that tree. And that's where I first heard about Shambhala. Hmm. I don't remember that part. I don't remember that part of the movie, but I know like the actual legend of Shambhala was like from. India or Tibet, where it's like a secret city of enlightenment. Yeah, well, that's what he's looking for, like, you know, total enlightenment kind of thing here. But uh, it, uh, and of course, I guess he achieved it. Um, I can't remember if the tree was dying or not, but yeah, I just looked it up, and it's a picture of him sitting in a lotus position, like in the center of the universe, around a white light surrounding him. That's how I remember the movie. But I, it was really compelling and it's one of those movies you gotta watch more than once to get everything out of it that you can yeah i saw it once i saw it was in the theater uh, that had to be like 2005 yeah a long time ago huh it's amazing, yeah, I saw, I, it's amazing i can't remember back that far yeah considering all the drugs you did 
<laughs> a little bit of dust never hurt anybody. <laughs> well, you know, I can't talk. I, I don't remember the 70s. I remember they were a lot of fun and they were really good, but I don't remember anything about them in particular. It's like, yeah, it was a fun time. What did you do? Don't remember. <laughs> I, remember, I, remember the 60s I remember people the having sideburns. Oh, they had mutton chops too. Yep. And bell-bottom pants and, uh, you know, flares and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, at the time, we thought they were the height of fashion, too. Now you look at it, oh, my God. What was I thinking, you know? <laughs> I was still dressed that way if I could. <laughs> You're not commenting. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to figure out where you're podcasting from. What's the name of the asylum? But, uh, <laughs> Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> you're going to lose a lot of friends and not influence a lot of people in Alabama. You keep that up. So, <laughs> they're, they're used to my jokes. Yeah, good. Do they actually listen to them? <laughs> oh, what do you don't? I just challenged them to a duel. <laughs> uh, yeah. Water pistols at 20 paces. <laughs> but yeah, I think you should watch it again. It's one of those movies you'll get more out of it the second time. Yeah, I'll have and, to check it out. But uh, yeah, and it was Shambhala. I, I remember that's where I heard it, Shambhala. He was in search. He, someone, he asked where he was, and they said Shambhala. And uh, yeah. I, I thought it was really cool. Well, they also have a couple monasteries here in the U.S. Who? Shambhala? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. One's in upstate New York. Well, one's up, I guess they just have that one in the U.S. I think the other one is in Canada. Oh, Canada. It's called, I went, it's called I went, Kar, Karma Sholong, Sholing. And what is that in English? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, I went to a, a Buddhist monastery in um, Spain, near Barcelona. It was up in the mountains there, the hills. And it was quite, quite wonderful. They had this giant version of a prayer wheel outside on the grounds. These great big prayer wheelie things, you know, the cylinders. And uh, my friend Chris was there. My father was there. And they wanted to go right away into the monastery. And I said, I want to do the prayer wheel. And Chris goes, why would you want to do the prayer wheel? And I go, because I've never done one. And this was one out in the gardens where you just literally walked around this whole big circle, with these giant prayer wheels, and you spun each of them as you went. And I just wanted to do it once and say prayers, you know, uh, just to have the experience. They didn't, you know cretins that they were but <laughs> so and they were yelling at me to hurry up and I go I'm almost done all right just back off I mean how often do you come across a giant prayer wheel system you know not often did you no. know the, the the largest Buddha in the United States is in Princeton New Jersey why because the monks built it there I used to have a Buddha I had a Japanese garden a Zen garden you know we rake the sand and you have little rocks that are islands and I had a Buddha on a pedestal and used to light a candle and just sit there and meditate. Do you meditate? I do. I fall asleep when I meditate. Do you do it with your eyes open, your eyes closed? I do it with my eyes closed because I can't do it with my eyes open. I'm too distracted. Because the way I was taught to do it is like I kind of keep my eyes half open, half closed. Well, I start out that way, but they end up totally closed and I'm snoring. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like one of the few things I'm good at. 
Well, Deepak Chopra said that um, you should not do it too late in the day. You should do it in the morning, yeah, no more than an hour time. or so after you get up, because then you're not sleepy. You won't fall asleep. <clears throat> so, but I'm not up to doing it till after I've had my coffee. Yeah, I got to drink about four or five cups at least. Can you think of nothing, absolutely nothing at all? No. I can't either. But what I learned was um, one of my uh, Buddhist teachers told me the idea is not to not think anything at all, but one is to acknowledge the thoughts and let them go. Right. And then once you get used to that, you'll start to notice a gap between your thoughts. And that's where you'll find the, the sort of like the emptiness. I, I, I try, I've tried that for years. I, it just doesn't seem to work for me. I, I've thought the thought, that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going off base here, let it go, and I let it go. And then bingo, I'm thinking something else entirely. When I'm thinking about nothing, I'm thinking about nothing, if you know what I mean. I'm still thinking, mm-hmm. but it's about the subject of nothing. Or just the word nothing, like neon in my mind on a black background. But I just can't seem to, I, I can't turn off thinking. It's awful. All right, so, so you need to buy my book. Yeah, I'm not that desperate, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't work, I'll get your money back. I think I think I'll just pass on the whole meditation thing rather than read that book. But <laughs> I probably should actually, in all you know, sincerity, because I'm I'm kind of stuck with my meditation, and I really would like to achieve that state of. Um, well, I'm not going to ever achieve nirvana, probably, but I'd like to achieve a state of uh, complete quietude within myself. Right. You know, as Deepak Chopra says, I'd ra- I want to be the thinker of the thoughts rather than the thoughts. And that's the key. It absolutely is. The thing is to realize that I am not my thoughts. Right. And you aren't. You are the thinker of the thoughts. I've got that much down. And, and even that's kind of sketchy. How so? And, and, and that's where I think I really kind of went wrong with my book. Oh, really? How? <clears throat> because now I'm starting to believe that I might not be the thinker of my thoughts. You think you might just be your thoughts? I think the brain might just act as an antenna. And what, you're picking up the universal subconscious or something? Something like that, yeah. Well, it's feasible, but there still has to be a thinker of the thoughts. I mean, a computer isn't its calculations. A computer forms the calculations, but it's not its calculations. And your brain is the same way. You are the thinker of the thoughts. You are not just the thoughts. Right. But a, but a com- computer that's connected to the Internet is just getting its information from the Internet, but it's not actually coming from the computer, which would be the brain. The computer is the brain, and the computer has to perform calculations, which are its versions of thoughts. Right. It just, it's just but a, the computer is but not it's just the a decoder. It's a decoder, like a radio decodes radio no, waves. No, no, it's not a decoder. It actually calculates and formulates. And, uh, uh, but, it's, but a computer, it's not the calculations any more than the numbers on an adding machine are the adding machine. Hmm. I mean, if you, if, you do a, if you total numbers on an adding machine, you've got a total of numbers that the adding machine did for you. But the adding machine is not the numbers, and the numbers are not the adding machine. Right. Although I think it was Max Tegmark who thinks that the whole universe is just information. Right. So, but I mean, someone has to think the thoughts. What is it that's thinking your thoughts? I don't know. 
You think you if, I knew, randomly if I knew that, then I would know the answer to everything. <laughs> you know, you, you, you compared it to a radio receiver, like you're just picking up all this stuff. Well, you, the you that is you is the radio receiver then. Right. right? The oh, computer. But it would just be the receiver. Oh, but a receiver would just receive whatever is broadcast to it. But you are able to extrapolate, to ponder, or, or, to, to question, and to learn. So I don't think you're just a receiver. A radio can't calculate. A radio can't uh, formulate. A radio can't ponder the programs that are being broadcast on. Well, I have to say my best ideas are not my own. Well, whose are they? I don't know. But, but when, like, like when I'm playing guitar or something. Which get, voice in your head do they belong to? <laughs> I don't know. But, but, it, but I'm, I have to say, I, I, it's like some, it comes from somewhere else. From whom? I don't know. Well, where do you think your ideas come? Do you think you you think you've thought all your ideas on your own? Well, I don't know that I've thought all my ideas on my own. I think I have built on a lot of other people's <laughs> ideas. Uh, you know, uh, I do have my own thoughts about things that I've not had any input on. Um, I do wonder about things all the time. You know, like when I was little, why is the sky blue, daddy, kind of thing. Like, do you ever wonder why you wonder? Well, that would be the thinker of the thoughts, wouldn't it? I don't He's know. the wonderer. It, it's the wonderer. <laughs> Who is the wonderer of the wonders? You know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's infinite regression. You have to take a step back. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there is a consciousness. I think, by the way, now they've said that most of the stuff that we do is unconscious that we think we, like I'm gonna pick up a piece of paper, conscious thought and I pick up a piece of paper. Actually, I decided on a subconscious level already and my mind just tricks me to think that it was my choice to pick it up consciously. On my subconscious, I've already decided to pick it up. And then my conscious mind says, oh, I think I'll pick up that piece of paper. Your subconscious is ordering around and they're saying about 80% of the time. Do you think your subconscious is connected to a super conscious? Uh, well, I like to think I have a high IQ. <laughs> um, I think Carl Jung thought there was a collective subconscious and there were archetypal uh, typal symbols that, you know, and that we all have the same dreams with these archetypal uh, symbols in them. And that seems to be true. Uh, I think that, yes, you could be tapping into a cosmic consciousness on some level. Sure, why not? Perhaps a consciousness in a human being is just an extrusion of that cosmic all, that cosmic consciousness. More kind of like the fingers of your hand are just a part of a greater body. So then, your you're, not, then, then, then you're not completely ruling out that the brain might be acting as a receiver. No, I'm... You're, I, you're saying that it could possibly be both. I think it is both. I think it can receive, but it also is able to interpret, uh, extrapolate, formulate... The, the information that it receives. Then how is it when a person has a near-death experience and are no longer thinking with their brain, they're still aware? Well, that's because the consciousness survives the brain. The consciousness, quantum physicists have, well, Michael Talbot uh, in his holographic universe said that there's a particle and wave-like state to particles, pieces of matter. And he says it could well be that the brain is the particle state and the mind is the wave state. That does make sense. Yeah. But the wave state isn't dependent on the particle state. It may house it and help it to develop and grow. For all we know, 
the universe may be conscious and we're its children. And this is just a nursery, a breeding ground. Mm -hmm. Our consciousnesses are developed here. And then when we die, our consciousness moves on into the cosmic consciousness. Maybe the universe is trying to learn about itself. And we're the agents of that. Again, I, the analogy of fingers. They can reach and grasp, and I look at them, and they're quite separate. I mean, they're not glued together except at the base. But they are glued together at the base. And that's the greater me. But if I shoved them up through a piece of paper in little holes and just looked at them that way, they would all appear quite separate and individual. But underneath, they're not. So you have solved the mysteries of the universe. Yep. <laughs> that, that's, what we're gonna, that's what we're gonna name this episode. Rob Shelsky. Uh, Rob Shelsky solves the mysteries of the universe. Yes. <laughs> that's what it's gonna be called. Part three. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't you have enough here for two episodes? Actually, it's going to be one long episode, but you know what? It one is long, my, tedious episode. It, it, is, it is my bedtime. <laughs> I gotta, Mine too, actually. I got to go to work tomorrow, man. Um, I got to do that radio show tomorrow. <laughs> Wish me luck on that. Uh, I'm sure it won't be uh, as fun as this, though. Oh, it won't, no, it won't be as fun because I'll be the host, <laughs> not some loud mouth guest. So, 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 so what you do is, hopefully you've learned from me tonight, just do everything that I just did. Well, haven't you noticed I've been asking you a lot of questions about what you think and feel and believe? I have, yeah. Yeah, I've been practicing, believe it or not. Yeah, you can use me for practice anytime. Sucker. <laughs> no, seriously, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed our conversation. I know it's all over the map, but I really did enjoy it. That's why I like doing it this way. You know? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's fun to get to laugh, you know. It's And insult people in places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at, this, and at the same time, talk about some of those heavier, deeper subjects without – Getting in too heavy. Yeah, without getting bogged down in all the um, details. Oh, yeah. I think you have to have a sense of humor about it. Otherwise, it would just bury you alive. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. But, yeah, I really appreciate being on your show. I really well, You, you have to come back when your new book comes out. Yeah, which is at the end of September. And okay. So we'll have to book you for some time in October. Yeah. What are you doing for Halloween? Um. I don't know, turning off my lights and hiding from the kids. Oh, I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be home at this house. Yeah. <laughs> Hide behind the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch TV in the bedroom where they can't see it flickering, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, excuse me. Um, you might want to do a show that's related to Halloween. Have you thought about that? I, I have. And, um, I'll have to see what happens because. Well, you might want to get more than one guest on. You might want to get like several. Can you do oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Might be interesting. I'd love to listen in at the least, you know, and uh, just just hear how it goes. Are you always laughing and joking in your shows or is this unusual? Not, not always. No. Like, something, like, like the guy I had yesterday talking about the lizard people it was completely a humorless episode. <laughs> yeah well it would be wouldn't it <laughs> so so and, and then i got like other people like, like, like you i consider a friend and it's easy to talk with you and joke and stuff like it that. is it and, is very and, and, and i have a couple few quite a few people actually that that i just kind of consider friends and 
and like like regular guests, you know, that I want to have keeping have on regularly because it's fun. We can just sort of shoot the breeze. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have some guests now that I have to be a little bit more serious because because uh, they're booked by Michelle. So it's like those guests actually gave me like questions and all that kind of stuff to ask. Oh, I forgot to send in the list of questions you gave me. Thanks for reminding <laughs> me. <laughs> so I have that. And, um, and then like I got, you know, so, some guests I know what to expect and some I don't, you know. Like, like tomorrow, I can't believe I ha- I'm actually going to interview, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Lon Milo Duquette. No, I've not heard of him. He was a student of Aleister Crowley. Nope, not heard of him either. <laughs> you never heard of Aleister Crowley? No, who's Aleister Crowley? You never heard Ozzy, Mr. Crowley? Who? You never heard the so- Ozzy Osbourne song, Mr. Crowley? Oh, well... You're not interviewing interviewing Ozzy Osbourne. No, but 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 Lon Duquette was a student of Crowley. Oh, he he took over Crowley's organization when he died. Well, who knew? I mean, you know, I'm not really in the rock world. I'm in the UFO world. Okay. Oh, well, he's not. The, he's, he's actually the occult world. <laughs> yeah. Well, so is Ozzy Osbourne for most of the time, from what I could see. Uh, but, uh, he says he wasn't, but I don't know. Hmm. He says he was not. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, Ozzy always just says, "Yeah, I'm just a Christian," you know. And nah, I think he was rewriting history now. You know, who knows? He's old and mellowing, you um, know, kind of thing. I think um, you know Jimmy Page lived in Crowley's castle. Mm. So that's going to be a cool one. I was really surprised that he said yes. And I'm also working on getting a guy who owns uh, two of the Crystal Skulls. Oh, that's cool. Are they the real ones or the fake ones? I don't know. He's in Florida. Oh. His name is Jeff the Village Mystic. Oh, well, that sounds interesting, too. Yeah, and I also have a demonologist. Now, that one I'd want to listen into. The other one, maybe not so much. I'm, uh, the person that's putting on this uh, radio show that I'm hoping to be a part of tomorrow, um, he's very into the rock and roll sing, uh, scene, and uh, mm-hmm. he's uh, he, he knows all these people, and like uh, Adele and all that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And actually, oh. Michelle, Michelle would like to have him on her show, Midnight Society. Hmm. Does she have, is she going to have you on it? Uh, she hasn't asked. Oh. Yeah, I'll be on it on the 29th, I believe, this coming month. But I'm not that good of a guest. Well, I don't know. You're pretty good as a host. You're easy going down to earth. Yeah, but people ask me questions. And never been to Nebraska. Yeah, no, like, never been to They'll want me to give answers other than, yeah, I haven't been there, or I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been there. <laughs> I, I, I haven't know. really lived. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent most of my life as working at call center Comcast. <laughs> or in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that could be a problem, yeah. Well, I mean, you do have a lot of interest in a lot of things. I think you could probably handle it pretty well. Thank you. <laughs> And I will let you go so you can get to bed. So what, what kind of work are you doing now? Uh, I make orange juice. I'm sorry, what? I make orange <laughs> juice. You make orange juice? Yeah, I put these oranges in a machine, and the machine crushes the oranges, and then juice comes out. Like in a factory or something? No, uh, you know, Sam's Club. Oh, Sam, oh, Sam's Club. I love that fresh orange juice. 
It's like five bucks a bottle or even seven bucks a bottle now, but I love it. It's, it's the best juice in the world. It is. It's like drinking real oranges. I mean, that's what it, it is. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? It's like you're, you're, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like the real thing rather than the orange juice you get at Walmart or yeah, places like that. You know? Yeah, it's completely And I different. usually drink it right away because, you know, they say you should drink it like for the first couple of days. Not yeah. Because it will lose that lovely fresh. It has a fresh quality to it. Like like when you ever had your first orange as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how much does that cost a bottle now? $8. Yeah, I know. It's really up there. But it, it takes about 30 oranges just to make one bottle of juice. Yeah, what is it, like a quart? Yeah. Yeah, I treat myself to it every once in a while. I'll go to Sam's and I'll, I'll buy a bottle of it. Not all the time, because it is really expensive. But, uh, you know, for the amount you get, when you can be getting all that preservative and rich stuff instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do. Uh, but it is a treat. For me, that is a real treat. I, I'm trying to go vegetarian. I did that for a while. I know. I can't keep it up for long term. I did that. Then I tried following Leviticus for a while. Leviticus? Mm-hmm. The book of the Bible? Yeah, yeah, like the diet part. Oh, I thought you meant like stoning people to death and stuff. No, 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 I never did that. <laughs> but, but it was just like not eating anything with hooves. Oh, well, that was just a Jewish thing, you know, because in those days they didn't have the ability to pasteurize and homogenize. Yeah. And, and, and pigs had, uh, what is it, trichinosis, so they banned pigs and that sort of thing. Well, there, I was, mean, a, there was a time in my life where I thought that sounded spiritual. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm to just the Jewish people, it is thing. spiritual, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, it was a damn good way to not die, you know. You you you, you do this stuff. By the way, can I say damn? Was that yes, that word? of course. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it, I mean, it was, a, it was a good recipe for staying alive in those days. You know, so, and I mean, you're not boiling the calf and the mother's milk kind of thing. It was also very humane and compassionate that way mm-hmm. as well, you know. So you boil the calf and some other mother's milk. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, I, it's, it's not a bad thing to follow, really. I, I'm not a vegetarian because I'm, uh, I hate meat. I'm a vegetarian or try to be because I don't like killing animals. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I'm an animal lover too. Are you? Mm-hmm. I love all animals. So I have cats. I have a cat and I have a, a dog. But the, the dog's funny. Like he's like a, a rescue. Like uh-huh. I've, we rescued him directly from a breeder. Actually, they were using him as a stud, <clears throat> and uh, he was never socialized at all. And I guess the guy abused him. So like when I first got him, he would always try to like chew off my leg. Oh, nice doggy. (laughs) (laughs) But you did, but you rescued him. Is he okay now? Yeah, he's doing good now. He's good. He's still a little difficult. Like he wakes me up at like four o'clock every morning to go out. But oh, my cat's waking me up at 630 to feed him. (laughs) It's terrible if I don't shut the doors to the bedroom. And if you do, they're outside scratching on the door. So, yeah, and I think that's part of it, too, is the cat torments the dog to get the dog to bark to wake us up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the conspiracy. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go because you do have to work tomorrow. you got to squeeze all those oranges. Got to so. make the juice. you got to make the juice, yeah. Well, at least you're doing something good. Yeah, it's fun. Do you ever drink any of it? Oh, all day long. 
Oh, do you? God, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I could that, that's it. That. I pretty much live off orange juice and ice cream. Ooh, yeah, what a combination. Like a creamsicle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound good. <laughs> I must be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you take care, guy. It was fun. <laughs> you too, man. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. Which I would be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. On Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. You know, yes. You can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.